What's going on, Rory? How you doing? Good to see you again, my friend. Hey, can you, can you hear me? Or yeah, I can hear you. Fine. Good, good, good. Yeah, not much. Uh, mm. Did not realize. Oh. <laughs> and I assume that's good. Okay. How you doing, Daniel? What's up, guys? I just, I just, you know, got my guitar out because I thought uh, Manosphere, Manosphere demanded some R R A W K. <laughs> some riffs, but I'll put, but I'll put. I was I was waiting for you, so you know, just doing some yeah. talk rock. But I'll put it away. I'll put it away. No, no, it's all good. No, no, you you can you can be the guy that uh, you can be in the guy in the party that uh, pulls out the guitar and impresses all the ladies. You can be that guy. Uh, you, or, you can be the guy that. Or, um, yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or fervently hopes to. I will say, don't <laughs> do that if you're. Uh, so I've been. I guess we should intro. So, you know, we didn't make Daniel read any uh, background literature, but uh, Hugh and I have both, uh, have both been sort of digging into uh, the Manosphere at different points in time, right? Mm. You know, obviously the, the subject of today's uh, talk is going to be, or I guess today's sort of show is just going to be about sort of like Manosphere figures. I mean, I guess we have um, sort of like fresh and fit, uh, you know, obviously uh, Andrew Tate. Um, and, and sort of that, that milieu of a very modern Manosphere guys. 
But uh, we just decided we would get sort of more of a historical perspective to uh, start off. And to kind of understand uh, where where this kind of started and where it's going and sort of how how it's changed over time. So I know Q, you were how, and how did it how did it get how did it get like where it is right now? It's in a very strange place. But, but before we do that, I just I do want to uh, in, you know introduce our, our guest to uh, it's Daniel because they may not be uh, familiar with its work or at least as, as familiar as I am. Uh, Daniel, do you want to did you want to introduce yourself? Because uh, you know I, I know you as um, you know a, a book writer, uh, somebody who has what I thought was like one of my favorite sort of like YouTube blogs where you would go into like the history of hip hop and so forth. But uh, you've also got a, you've also got a book out. You're yeah. Out book out. Is my camera on? Are you looking at me right now? Cause I can't, I can't tell. I can't see your camera. You can't see my camera. Stop video. I cannot see your camera. Start video. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah. It's all, it's all black. I don't know why. Anyway. Uh, that's oh, you just got to make sure that you choose the correct camera source. So if uh, there's a little arrow oh, okay. there, and you, you can just click on it and make sure that you, you choose your camera. Arrow. What arrow would that be? Oh, flip. Um, next to the camera icon, oh. there's a... It says beta. Are you on your mobile device? Yes. Oh, but this, can I do this on a, a, on a desktop? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let me rejoin you on the desktop. That'll be easier. All right. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we'll we'll until you rejoin us on the desktop. That's all good. All right. So yeah, as for the, uh, we can we can sort of like uh, give us off intro to the uh, the manosphere stuff. I I I was a little bit. um, I'm gonna put this in such a way that's not gonna get me canceled. Ah, fuck it. Whatever. I was a little bit disappointed um, with like the internet when Andrew Tate um, got the boot from youtube and pretty much every platform not because like uh not because i have any particular affinity for him but because i think that uh simply like removing somebody off of any social media website doesn't it never achieves the intended effect all right what it usually does is just make them a little bit more notorious right and we, we can get into we can get into that in a little bit um but i i think that um Every time that somebody has been sort of like uh, mind wiped from the internet, it's done nothing but make them a little bit more. Like, make, it makes their myth and their lore grow just a little bit more. Um, we start seeing them through like this uh, sort of funhouse mirror. So instead of like seeing them as they are, we see them as this like figure that had to be either like taken off of the internet because of their danger, or that they're um, sympathetic figures uh, that were removed from the internet because they spoke the truth too loudly. You know what I mean? And it, it rarely allows people to see the person as they are. And having gone back through the archives, <laughs> as they, as it is, uh, and had a look at some of the Andrew Tate material, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get what was so compelling about this guy, personally. But maybe that's just me. Anyway, uh, Daniel's back, and we can actually see you there, bro. Uh, just make sure that you unmute yourself, and uh, we'll give you hey, uh, hey, hey. just a moment that's to introduce you. yourself to the audience. Hey, there you are. Hey, hey. There he is. How's it going? Uh, yeah, so I'm here in, uh, I'm calling in from Brooklyn, New York. Hey! Yeah. Where are you at, Roy? I'm in Brooklyn as well. Oh, where? You where two about? met before. Uh, Don't you remember when I was when I was in New York? You guys, we all hung out. Oh, we were both at, we were both at that, that, yeah. that, that place. We went to that bar when the dog was hanging out, that little terrier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a cool name. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm here in New York. I'm a Canadian originally, so uh, Q and I have that in common. Um I do a bunch of things. I write musicals, oddly, 
Uh, that's what I have my MFA in from NYU. Uh, but that's a very seasonal at best occupation. So I do other things. I wrote this book, co-wrote this book with my pop mm. uh, called The Myth of Normal, Trauma, Illness, and Healing in a Toxic Culture, which as of yesterday was just listed on its third month on the New York Times bestselling audiobook list. And I'm the voice of the audiobook. So that's been pretty exciting you know to have a book out there i've never done this shit before so it's nice look at look um, at this guy yeah yeah branching out or daniel or q if you want to drop uh daniel's uh youtube channel in because i know there's at least one person who wants to know oh him. yeah so uh, great yeah. yeah yeah so the history of hip-hop has been included in it but the show is called lyrics to go uh and it's all about lyrics of any kind for everything from like I did a 10-part Wu-Tang Clan series where me and my friend Deshaun broke down our favorite verse by each Wu-Tang MC. But I've also done extensive Joni Mitchell episodes, Stephen Sondheim, Metallica, Soundgarden, Bjork, Radiohead, whatever, the Jacques Brel, everything. I'm just a lyric enthusiast. And the funny thing is I'm about to start a podcast. I've been meaning to do this in podcast form forever. And I've got a co-host who I'm really excited about, Carice Van Houten, who people might know from... No way! From uh, Game of Thrones, who played Melisandre. Game of Thrones and Black Book. She and I are doing it. Now, what's... No! Yeah. Awesome. Okay, okay, get this, get this, get this. You know who I've been uh, trying to get on for a little while, too, and he finally uh, agreed, is um, Miltos Yerolemu, who played uh, the first sort of Bravos. Milk Toast? Mil- milk toast, Miltos, Miltos Yerolemu. He played. He played the guy that uh, that taught Arya how to do the water dancing. Here's the thing: I, I man is made of water. I only watched a season or two of Game of Thrones, but I know who you're talking about. The guy who yeah, trained yeah. Arya. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, Carice, it turns out, is a a lyrical nerd just like me. So we're doing this podcast, and we were going to call it Lyrics to Go because that's the name of my channel, and it's a great name, named after mm. the tab called Quest Song and all that. And I made a theme song too, and I sampled it and everything. And then it turns out there already is a Lyrics to Go podcast, and it's a show about like dis- basically disposable lyrics, like bad lyrics. So like they did oh. for the most recent one was PYT by Michael Jackson, like unfortunate uh. lyrics throughout history. So I can't, we can't use. So I think we're going to call it Let's Get Lyrical. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is which is fine, but anyway, so that'll be that'll be dropping in the new year. Um, I'm also I do this thing called mental chiropractic. I'm not a therapist, I'm not a coach, but I take walks with people either in person or remotely, and I help them get unstuck on a particular situation they're dealing with. So not I'm not going to take on your big capital I commitment issues, but if there's a particular commitment related situation you're in right now, we go for a walk for an hour and fifteen, and if you bring a strong intention to get unstuck, we'll get we'll get it unstuck by shifting the perspective. So that's something that's something I do, which is ten, which is sort of, I guess, adjacent to the topic of this book, having to do with trauma and healing and the mind and the body and all that kind of shit. Um, and anything else? That's, I think that covers it. All right. All right. Yeah. 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 He's hanging out with, uh, hanging out with the, uh, with the red lady. Yeah. You got, you got a book on the New York times bestseller list. Yeah, well, she's uh, she's in Holland, time. so she's in Holland, so we're hanging out very remotely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I actually, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, who was it? Black Death, and I was like, oh yeah, it's her. It's the only yeah. memorable part of that movie. Um, a couple of years, they tried to force like a new weird British guy into the American market, and he was very short lived. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, Q. I think that it was also in a Paul Verhoeven movie I just found out today. A Dutch Paul Verhoeven movie from the 2000s called Black Box, I think. Oh, uh, Chris Van Houten. Yeah, yeah, she's been, she's been. Uh, let's see, no, no, she was in a, uh, the book or the movie that she was in was called Black Book. Black she's Book. also been in a movie called one. Black Black yeah. Book. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. So yeah, I, 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 I wanted you on because you have, I think, an ability to, uh, I don't know, like, 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 drill down into the, uh, the, 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 the strange, like, the base psyche. Possibly, it was supposed to be talking about, um, you know, male mental health. Uh, male suicide, etc., and it was the ri- the risk factors pro- the risk factors for which I'm sure they listed as women. <laughs> Probably, I don't know. I wasn't there. Al- although a friend of mine, interestingly enough, a friend of mine was there. Okay, and uh, when she was um she was she was outside of the uh, the lecture, and she was reading off a list of the reasons why. Um, you know the uh, the patriarchy was to blame for uh, for male problems and and uh, as she was like reading the list, uh, people were like hectoring and jeering her, and she was telling them uh, "f you" and shut the f up and so on. And then she ended up becoming absolutely infamous on the internet as mm-hmm. "quote unquote" Big Red. And ever since, people have been using her face, her appearance, as a stand-in for like hostile feminism. Right. Uh, she ended up getting like, uh, you know, many like rape threats, death threats, and it continues on like pretty much to this day. Like uh, people use her face as, you know, the, uh, the face of the hostile feminist. And whenever, I don't know, like some, so whenever some person ends up using, uh, her face and then their video thumbnail causes the video to go viral, uh, she gets another round of death threats. So yeah, it's been, it was, it was pretty awful for her because I mean, you know, she, she did, she did, I think fairly brave things like uh escorting women to um abortion clinics uh like she's she was one of the people that would like escort the women in and out so that uh you know like the fundamentalists that were like jeering and sometimes like threatening and even spitting on the women um mm. she yeah she would actually like get herself between them and uh the woman who was going in and out of the clinic and yeah. she would like volunteer her yeah volunteer her time at, at like shelters and so on she was you know she was a really like very charitable person and i think just like being at that uh, place that that one place at the one time caused uh, a lot of difficulty for her in the future. But anyway, all that aside, like it started off with this, as this like fringe movement that I think purported to be um, cognizant about like men's mental health issues and sometimes issues having to do with things like uh, abuse against men or like the way that uh, men were um, unjustly, uh, I, I guess like uh, they, they were unjustly kept away from their children or that family court was unfair to them. Customs. And then it sort of spun off into this weird, like, dating realm about how if you employ the proper techniques and just have, I don't know, like, utter disdain for women, you can be more successful in dating. But hold up, hold up, hold up. I just want to define our terms and our eras here because yeah, yeah. if I cycle back, so I'm not as, like, I'm not as terminally online as I seem. Like, a lot of the references to what was going for, like, I, there's a big gap, let's put it this way, in my o- online knowledge mm-hmm. of, like, the whole Tumblr years, all that shit. And, and the, the dawn of the manosphere and all that. I was, I, I wasn't that cognizant of it. But when I look back in like the like progenitors of this stuff, like the, 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 the ancestors of this, you know, there was the men's movement, 
right? In the in this in the eighties, like Robert Bly, Iron John, right? Or is that the nineties? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Men starting to gather together, do drum circles in the woods, trying to get in touch. Oh with, yeah, the the mythopoetic guys, yeah, the mythopoetic guys, right? Trying to get in touch with sort of a a positive, generative, archetypical kind of masculinity that's not the uh, the softened. Uh, you know, neutered uh, beta male of, of, of the hippie movement, but also isn't a terrible chauvinist. Then you've got the MRAs, right, from... But, I mean, the pickup... Like, Tom Cruise played that asshole in Magnolia, who's doing exactly what you... Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Respect in 1999. the cock. Yeah. Respect the cock, right? So yeah. it, it seems like I'm... Where does the... Like, the manosphere itself... Are we talking about... Sp- specifically a, a 2010s phenomenon? So I, here's here's actually where I'm going to butt in a little bit because I actually kind of disagree with how Q... Like, the idea... Because the thing is, I would put... There's sort of different strains of the manosphere. Like, I think that we've been talking a lot about the sort of the men's rights aspect of it. But prior to that, there was, like, pickup artists, right? And that was the thing that really got kicked off, like, supercharged in 2005, and like the mid to early 2000s with, uh, what was that book? It was The Game, I think. Yep, The Game. Yeah. Um, and that sort of existed very early on. And, you know, I think Q, uh, on one of our streams, we watched a one of those kind of older pickup artist guys who was like the, the king of kissing. Like he claimed that he had kissed. Oh, a- yeah. yeah, yeah. I've like, yeah. like kissed like women yeah. this year. The king of makeouts, which is like, very, very high school. Very high school, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, dude, I, 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 I'm going steady with so many girls right now. It's like, oh, man. Dude, my necking, my necking game is on fleek. I, I give so many girls hickeys, dude. Um, <laughs> but then it's it sort of, I would say, around like 2010, 2011, you started to see these sorts of figures showing up that weren't necessarily like published. I know that, that Neil Strauss... I think he kind of disengaged from it and sort of realized like, oh, these guys are all like kind of losers and I sort of hate them all because they, mm-hmm. they suck. Uh, and so he ended up kind of right, kind of pulling out of it. But as he was pulling out in like the early, the early 2010s, you started to see these other figures beginning to emerge. Guys like uh, uh and like Matt Forney, who's... Um, uh, this other guy, I think Davis Arini, like, and, and all of them were very weird guys, right? And it was, it was more specified for like the internet. Like I, so to prepare for this, I read um, Roosh V's books, um, or two of them, browse them lightly. Uh, he would write these books, they're called like the Bang series, Um where he would write like a guide to like how to pick up women in like different countries. So there was like bang Ukraine, bang Estonia, I think was the other one I read, but there's others like bang Thailand. Bang, bang um, Ukraine hits different these days. Yeah, no, no. I, I did actually look over bang Ukraine and I was like, Ooh, <laughs> it's like, Ugh, I don't know, man. Uh, I guess. Uh, well, I mean, was- hold, well, Here's the thing. There is there is like a convergence of all of these things. You know what I mean? But when I when I refer to the manosphere, I think that's kind of um, like where where I'm where I'm talking about. That is like uh, a lot of these guys that were sort of like men's rights advocates or activists began to mesh with some of the like the castaways from the PUA movement. And 
where it started was for... yeah, guys like Rouge V and Return of Kings, etc. There was guys like Tommy Sotomayor. Uh, and I think they were like fairly marginal figures at first, but then eventually, like I think all of the uh, the worst aspects of them or the worst like uh, public figures in that movement got ablated over the years, and eventually returned as what we what we can see now as like uh, the Fresh and Fit podcast or Kevin Samuels or Andrew Tate, etc. It's almost like they were like burnished or I don't know, like they went through the crucible of the uh the cancellation period and came back stronger than ever as these uncancelable well, figures. Look, what does PUA stand for? Sorry, my pickup artist. Oh pick up pickup artist. Pickup artist. Yeah. And, so, and then like yeah. here's my question. Where does it shade into because there's like there is the bro sphere, which some people would lump Joe mm-hmm. Rogan in with, and certainly some of his guests come off that way and like you know, nutritional supplements, supplements and a certain kind of masculinity. Although I don't think it's like the most toxic thing out there. And then you've got like, like a, a cat, like fucking Jackson Hinkle, who I don't mind talking shit about. Cause he's been talking shit about my brother. Uh, like he's this, this sort of leftist bro. Who's got this real vibe of fucking I'm the Mac of, of like the, the MAGA communist left. And that smacks to me of a certain manospheric thing, but I don't know who, like, I don't know where the lines are. Well, first off, let's be very clear. Uh, Jackson Hinkle is, is just like great value. Haas bring Haas back. This is the official stance of the show. Um, we yeah. Haas? Haas was, he was uh, basically all the MAGA communism stuff, like all the mecha tanky stuff. That was all, Haas. That was not Jackson Hinkle. Okay. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was Haas's brainchild. He is uh, he is a Lebanese American man from I think Dearborn, uh, from Michigan, yeah. and he would just get on and he would have he's I think he's one of the the more natural like entertainers on the internet. Like he's a very entertaining person. Like he would go on and have these Twitter spaces where he would just go off about like all like. It, it was just amazing. So I, I really yeah. do. I, I do like Haas. But see, the thing is, I I think that there's sort of an interesting confluence. Here. And one thing I noted. So the one thing I found very interesting uh, was that a lot of the people who talk about the older kind of generation of pickup artists, right? Like the kind of the Rouge V era. Because the I would say the guys that really kicked off, like the, the game guys, those guys are all gone. Pretty much like the Makeout King, he's his website hasn't been updated since like 2019, right? He's not a big figure. Uh, and then the Roosh and like um, like Matt Forney crowd, they're a lot of people say like, oh, they're they're just appealing to like young insecure men. But after reading his book, I'm kind of conf- I don't actually know if that was his intended audience because it feels very. I know maybe I should get more into it, but like, I like reading his book, right? So it's called Bang Ukraine. It's like how to how to pick up hot chicks, or, or Bang Estonia was the other one. It's like how to pick up hot chicks in Estonia. How about Bang Bangalore? Uh, no, that that would be Rory's book to write. I don't know if he has. Oh god, no! I'll give my stepmom that, and she can write like Bang <laughs> Mumbai about <laughs> the slattern wenches of Mumbai. <laughs> She'll go off on like a, a tangent about that, but 
she um sorry but it, it's weird it it feels i mean first thing like if anybody's listening just look up matt forney or roosh v and you'll immediately see like this is not an especially aspirational figure like matt forney just looks like a potato like he's just this really like overweight bald yeah. guy just just he a slubby dude kind of like poured so into his outfits like slubby yeah soup. Then, yeah uh davis arini looks like a like an npc from like the witcher 2 like he's just gangly and weird looking um also one thing i do want to push back on on cue i do not include kevin samuels in that that milieu kevin samuels here's the thing kevin kevin samuels no he here's the thing kevin samuels gave it uh, just as brutally to like to men as women, but I think that uh, I I would include him in the sense that he was just uh, he was one of those like traditionalists and was talking about you know like men built this world and that uh, you know w- women might control oh, yeah. access to sex but men control access to marriage. I kind of like that was that was him. He has had I think an indelible effect on the uh, the modern day manosphere guys because a lot of them are echoing things that he said. I just looked so up. I, I know that I, I wouldn't necessarily say that he was in the movement per se, but a lot of them were really looking up to him. And a lot, like after he's passed, a lot of them are seeing they've they've taken a lot of cues and taken a lot of lines from him. Hmm. I just looked up Matt Forney, and his yeah, uh, looks like, his, right. looks like his, his his magnum opus, from what I can tell, is a book called Big Lovin' apostrophe The Guide mm-hmm. to Picking Up Fat Chicks. Oh, see, and that's oh where he God. differs from Roosh. Because Roosh, abs- I will say, like, so Roosh's book, so I, both Bang Estonia and Bang Ukraine, I kind of describe it as, like, it's like if somebody wrote a trip advisor for, like, a Balkan country, but it was from somebody in, like, an opposing Balkan country. Like, like if a guy from, like, Albania was going to write, like, Bang Slovenia, or was writing, like, trip advisor reviews for, like, Slovenia, um it, it's it's very also I will say um just in addition Matt Forney did steal Roosh's um method right he stole like the way because if you look at like Matt Forney books I forget what they're called they're not called they don't have as good of a name as Bang um yeah okay so he would write books with like similar titles like do the Philippines so it wasn't bang, it was do. Oh, Lord. Yes, yeah, do. Okay. All right, guys. I don't know necessarily how much uh, valuable information is there, but... I mean, I don't need someone to write a book called Bang Slovenia. I know how you bang Slovenia. You go there and you imitate Slavoj Žižek and the girls go... Yeah, through. that was what I mean. Uh, well... <laughs> in the final analysis, I was would like to buy you a drink because in the, the, the construction of the idea of a drink would be... You see... <laughs> He does this thing where he grabs yeah. his face too. I've, I've noticed that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. What, so I describe Roosh V as he's sort of the he he's the the Malcolm Gladwell of the Manosphere. <laughs> well, so you know how Malcolm Gladwell will do that thing. It, it, a lot of writers do this, where they'll 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 pick up like a pithy name for something. It'll be like, oh, this yeah. is like the uh, the chicken. Blink. Or the yeah, yeah. Well, he'll say something like you know oh when it comes to like racial um, like race relations in America you know black people want to have a cookout and white people want to be invited to the cookout 
And I call that the, uh, he'll say, he'll make up like a name for it, like the cookout effect or like the cookout mm. theory. Principle. Yeah. And he'll like, he'll give it like a nice little title. So it makes it sound like more formal than what he's actually saying. Yeah, and it makes for um, good MP- NPR interviews. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, it just sounds like more kind of pithy. Whereas Roosh does the same thing. Like he's, I, I think he was in Bang Ukraine. He's like, Ukraine is what I like to call a, a paint over culture. You know, people like to to obscure their flaws with like makeup and expensive things. And you're like, oh, I thought you meant paint over the skin of the people they t- they tape to. Uh, yeah. Like- well, that's what, you know, um, I, I do like the way that he, in both books, the way to pick, to start a conversation with women is to like ask them their opinions on Russia. Which is like, <laughs> okay, man. Um, but the thing that was weird I found about it was that it, it like because I was expecting like let let me tell you about these these hoes in in Ukraine and Estonia and it was mostly uh, almost like logistical. He's like you know if you want cheap tickets to Ukraine, consider uh, going to skyscanner.com. Like, and I'm like I don't think a younger person would like necessarily need that advice. It almost feels like a boomer or like somebody older that like isn't as aware of the internet in like 2010 as a guide. So I, I don't actually necessarily know if it was actually geared towards younger men. And I, I guess the greater point and the more interesting point that I, I sort of got from like looking at older pickup artists, um, then that kind of middle generation and now like Easter Tate's the, oh, right. the guy that was with Kanye. Um, what? Oh, Milo? Nick what was his no, oh, Nick- no, there was another guy. It was... Sneeko, I think, was his name. Oh, Sneeko was in that too. He's like, okay, yeah, he was like in the background, like on his phone. It was, okay. it was a very weird. Uh... But all of those guys, there's this sort of the thing I've noticed that's very interesting is that there's this general trend away from actually talking about how to pick up chicks. Like it starts off with like the early guys where it's like, yeah, I I made out. Like, you want to read my book because I've made out with, you know, 500 women. Or, like, every night I go to the bar, I get lots of women. And then you get into the the sort of roosh sphere where it's sort of like that a little bit. But then there's there's kind of more, like, general life advice as well. It's like, oh, you should, you know, like, take care of yourself. Uh, it's hard for, like, Matt Forney to say that stuff, obviously, because, like... It's like, take your own advice. Yeah, guy. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, take your own damn advice, well, yeah. I, like, yeah, you should really go to AA meetings. It's like, really? Yeah. Um, and then, but you start to see towards the end, especially with Trump kind of coming into the, the picture culturally as like a political movement, it becomes more like explicitly political. Right. Like very like, oh, you know, SJWs are like ruining movies. That was a big bugaboo. They were really mad about, like Lady Ghostbusters and like the new Star Wars movie. Well, there are reasons to be mad about it, but only if you spent money and time to see it. Yeah, no, I mean, they would go like full on. And and like Davis, like for example, Davis Arini had a whole thing about how this is like, you know, white genocide. <laughs> just like, right. okay. Well, can I, can I just cut in here? Because look, I know little to nothing about the people you're talking about. I'm I'm still a little perplexed as to why Q invited me to be on this particular thing, but I'm delighted. <laughs> uh, I'm, you I, know, I thought I'm, I thought I thought uh, I thought your I'm going to put this. 
I thought your forays into the human psyche and yeah, also yeah, yeah. some of the uh, so let me, let some me of just... the work that the both of us have done ha- would would cast a little insight here as to why it is okay. that guys are drawn towards these kinds of movements right now. Okay. It, yeah. So let me so let me venture something to to okay. try to synthesize what Rory was just saying. This dilemma or this mystery of well, it started out as like having some kind of obviously appealing carrot for these guys like pick up chicks you know i'm in um Mm. and then it's shifted away from that i actually i mean because what i've heard recently i don't know if i was was listening to an episode of chapo recently and someone was talking about how one of these guys was talking about how sleeping with women is actually gay like it's it's turning in on itself that is that is that is viably true yeah yeah so (laughs) it is it it is true i listen you're gonna spend your time and energy Pining for the affections of the fairer sex sounds kind of fruity to me. I don't know. It's very fruity. <laughs> very fruity. Well, never mind. Um, but here's here's what, I'll, here's what I'll here's what I'll propose. Here's what I'll here's what I would wonder right. about. Just this is in mm. terms of my understanding of the human psyche. You know, the first word in the subtitle of my dad and I's book is trauma, and I think we're dealing mm. with a whole lot of different manifestations and expressions of how people cope with trauma and how culture creates silos for people to hang out together uh, to not talk about their trauma, but to sublimate it into obsessions, fads, trends, uh, fetishes, uh, identity movements of all kinds. And it strikes me that this pickup artist community was not so much about picking up women as it was men feeling connected with each other. And when that runs out, men find something new to connect with each other. They're angst over where the way the world is going. You know, there's a reason Jordan Peterson has been so popular. And I don't, I haven't read the guy. He's a bit of a ridiculous clown to me, but I can't front on the fact that a lot of people, including a lot of people who seem to find my dad's work valuable, and they're completely incompatible in terms of their worldviews. But there are people who actually think that both of these people have something useful to offer. People, you know, someone like Peterson is offering a sense of orientation to a very disoriented group of people who have lost uh, mooring in society. They, it's probably a fatherless generation feeling like they didn't have a, not that they didn't have fathers, but they didn't have fathering in the sense that they would have longed for that would have given them some kind of guidance to be men in this world. They look around and they see that patriarchy has become a dirty word. And we can talk about that. I think there's an interesting thing to see about the etymology of that word. But uh, they rightly or wrongly think people are trying to make them feel guilty for being who they are. They don't, they're not connected to their their sex drive. They, they're, they're porn-brained. So their idea of sex is completely unmoored from what natural, healthy human interaction is. And so getting around other guys who have the same angst and have the same language to talk about it, and Trump is like the great granddaddy of all these people, uh, or at least has been. I don't know who's going to be the next one. Uh, It gives guys a sense of belonging and connection. I mean, is that too banal an observation? I feel like it's kind of self-evident. But One thing I do think, and this is why I find the transition of the manosphere so interesting, is that like, cause a lot of, a lot of ink and a lot of thought has been put to, you know, their connections with women. But the thing I've always felt about the manosphere is that it actually has very little to do with women. As weird as that sounds, 
it's less and people go, well, they're very dehumanizing to women. And I would agree with that to the sense that they don't really view women so much as like somebody you would want to get into a relationship with and more as sort of a status symbol. Like it's, it's about trying to define yourself. Yeah. Like how do we achieve definition through, you know, having a lot of sex, right? Like that's kind of like, it's weird reading like bang Ukraine, for example, you know, there's a part where he's just like, you know, Ukrainian women, they're, they're like, when you talk to them, it's like you're talking to a corpse. I'm like, what? What, man? <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right. Well, that, what that says to me, these guys have tried it all. They've tried that drug to numb their pain, and it didn't do the trick. So now they're looking for the next thing. I mean, it's like back in the 2000s, banging any chick you want on any continent sounded like the move. They've tried that. They've tried to do it. Either they failed at it or they succeeded at it and were left just as empty. And they're probably very alienated from women, basically, probably always have been. And at least among each other, they can develop new subcultures and new ways of... Did you watch that Pepe the Frog documentary? No. Oh, my God. It is fucking brilliant. It was so... If you want to, I mean, that this is, we're talking about something adjacent here. It's not identical to the manosphere. Oh, I would say actually it's pretty connected. I mean, it's pretty connected. Okay. Well, I think that documentary, I forget what it's called, but it, it starts with the guy whose cartoon Pepe was originally, and then it got completely appropriated and co-opted and just how this guy feels about that fact, you know, and the loneliness and just alienation of these guys it's scary, but it's, it's so pitiable too. Um, and nothing satisfies, nothing fills that void inside that they've probably felt their whole lives and they live online. You know, it, now it becomes a world of memes, not a world of meaning. Yeah. I mean, the thing, so I, I think maybe we should probably shift to the main focus, which I think would be like the more modern, uh, modern sort of manosphere figures. Yeah. The thing I find very interesting about uh, Andrew Tate, and for some reason, people got very mad at me for saying this on Twitter, which, I mean, I guess is par for the course. But the thing I find interesting about Andrew Tate in particular is that he's sort of a confluence of a lot of different figures from like the mid 2000s or the mid 2010s, right? Like he sort of has the, the, I mean, obviously he does give dating advice, Right. That is sort of or one of the things he does is dating. Right? So that's very similar to kind of like the Roosh V Matt Forney. He definitely summer like kind of encapsulates a lot of that sexism and, and kind of chauvinism. But he also has the sort of aspirational lifestyle of like a Dan Bilzerian. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's hanging, he's hanging out. Yeah. He's like driving expensive cars like Lamborghinis. And whatnot. Yeah. He's like smoking stogies. You know, he's he's got he's got the, uh, the blazer with no shirt underneath, shirt wide open. Steven yeah. Seagal smoking cigars with uh, Steven. Yeah, hanging out in like casinos and like you know spending wads of cash. That that sort of yeah. Dan Bilzerian lifestyle. Yeah, and then right. also the sort of like uh, this is maybe a more obscure figure, but I don't know how many of you guys remember uh, what was it? Uh, De- Ty Lopez. He would like run these. Yeah, yeah, here, yeah. It's just me in my garage. My garage, day. Yeah. Oh, and but you know what really value? You know what I really value in here? These bookshelves I also have for some reason <laughs> in the garage. College, you know, and, and it was like yeah. here's how I read. You know, every day I read another book, which 
would actually, if you, you watched anything else, I, I never actually watched more of his stuff, but apparently he just read like the spark notes of that, uh, yeah. of books. Yeah. It's like, it's not really reading a book, but regardless, it also has that kind of like grind set LinkedIn element to it. And it all kind of merges into this figure of Andrew Tate, where it's like, he has all of these different things at once, which I think was always going to be the case. Because, again, like, going back to, like, the Roosh V and the Matt Forneys, you look at these guys, and, like, Roosh V, I mean, he's better looking than Matt Forney, but he's still, he looks very, unfortunately, like, Dagestani is the best way I can describe it. Like, he looks very... <laughs> Dagestani. <laughs> yeah, he looks like... He's oh, like, my he goodness. Look like he's about to be deployed with, like, Ramzan Katarov. Like, he looks kind of... <laughs> Like he's he's doing like the the like I don't even know <laughs> like he's one of their like back guys uh, for like the Chechen forces. He just does not look good, right? And and so I feel like it's very weird to have to take advice from these guys because it's like, well, they they're not very like this is not the kind of guy I would want to emulate, right? Whereas I can see why somebody would want to emulate like Andrew Tate. I can see why somebody would want to emulate. Um, fresh and fit, right? They're they're wealthy to an extent, right? They're pretty wealthy, I would say. They live these kind of like fun, upbeat lives. Um, and, you know, they seem to be living kind of these perfect, and, you know, they're all fit as well. I mean, fresh and fit, at least half of them are, are fit, I would assume. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they're all like people that you might want to aspire to, as opposed to like Matt Forney, where it's like, no, this is the guy you don't want. But then, but then that raises, I mean, if we want, if, if the purpose of this episode is to understand something that's not easily understandable, then those are the guys that it's worth wondering about because we, it's not such a leap of imagination to wonder why someone wants to look like a fit, rich player. Right. And what, so what is it about these guys? Now I've ever, I've never listened to them, but if I try to put, if I try to take a leap of empathic imagination into the, into the mind of someone who would be a, who would gravitate to someone who doesn't look like you know a greek god or, or even a a successful per, you know well maybe they can do they exude a certain kind of like i understand what's wrong with the world and i can tell you and i can or i can i can focus your resentment and your bile i can ex you know i can i can articulate your inchoate uh alienation i can point to who's to blame i can give you new ways of coping i can give you new kinds of wit and banter that'll you know insulate you like a new a new ironic language like they're offering them something psychological it's not this stuff is happening on the emotional level it's not it, i don't think it's a rational like oh wow i'm really going to become that guy it's more like who do, who settles me down who makes me feel seen and heard you know, which is language I'm sure they would never want to hear applied to themselves, but that's fundamentally what every human being wants. And that somehow the people we identify with, the public figures we choose to have parasocial relationships with, they embody something that we either want for ourselves or we've lost in ourselves or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like there must be something about these guys. Like I look at Vosh, I'm like, why the fuck would anyone want to listen to this guy? But He's, yeah. but he's, he's embodying something that a group of people want to identify with. Well, fresh and fit. So one thing I think that these guys have, have transitioned towards is it's, 
like one thing I would say with Fresh and Fit is it's more like you're hanging out with people. Right. Um, yeah, you're like hanging out with people. And and where, where I think I really separate them from even Andrew Tate guys is that they, they have like women on their show and they just kind of yell at them. Like it's very... Well, they do have women on their show. It's strange because like they'll have... I would actually say... There's a lot of women, and this is this is not just fresh and fit. This is broadly. There's a lot of women that I think agree with these guys, and they'll talk to them too. Like uh, there's a couple of characters that do come by their show semi regularly, and they'll come on to basically agree with the guys and say they'll say that you know modern women are sort of like ruining dating. Uh, they'll say, for example, like eighty uh, percent of women on dating apps are competing for twenty percent of men. So. As as to the Pareto principle, most guys don't even stand a chance of even getting chosen going on apps like Tinder, Hinge, etc. They'll say things like uh, women want all of the rights, but none of the responsibility. Um, and, you know, a lot of them are actually like gaining a fairly large following saying these things. Uh, one of them even said recently, you know, women, I, I don't know if it was joking or not, but she said like women shouldn't have the right to vote because women can't be drafted into a war. You know, so uh, there's, there's actually a lot of women that are... I really do love that argument. It's like, guys, like, when is the, when is the, like, when, is anybody planning to be, like, drafted in the next yeah. war? Yeah. Like, yeah. No, I, I think what it is, personally, is that there is sort of a lack of voice, of reasonable voices, right? Or even voices that, how would I put this? it seems like there just isn't really, there aren't really voices that are very geared to men that are in anything other than just sort of like diminutive or lecturing or scolding. Right. It's, you know, it's just the, the advice that they give is always very kind of standoffish or, you know, there just isn't really a whole lot of, of media geared towards men that I think is really for men. Mm -hmm. I think it's a lot of it. Um, it's almost very judgmental of men and very kind of sort of, yeah, like very acerbic, which I don't necessarily think appeals to a lot of guys. Like I think a lot of guys don't want to hear that. Right. Like it's like, if you're feeling really bad about your life, the last thing you want to do is listen to some guy, like, you know, just tell you you're like wrong about everything. Right. And and I think to a certain extent, there are a number of women who also do kind of push back on on some of the more, I would say, extreme uh, elements. I think we definitely saw that during like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard stuff, where as Q and I have, have often said, you know, that was a women's civil war, right? It was yeah, definitely that was that was a war between women that had nothing to do with us. Very little to do. Like there were very few men that were involved in that conversation. But it's like you could see that there was this sort of element of people kind of starting to get off the train of 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 this sort of way of talking about men and i, I think that with guys, oh. guys like fresh got tate oh. it, it's offering media for men that is both aspirational but also somewhat more understanding of them right like it's not as it's not as hostile to them as a lot of other media forms are, right? And oh, absolutely. And th so this is where we come around to like patriarchy discourse, you know, because there's been a, like, like the social justice consensus and I'm like, I'm, I'm not making a reactionary point here. I'm not, this is not an anti-woke screed, even though I missed the days when the word woke meant something political, like 
stay awake yeah. to the fuckery. Stay, stay woke, bro. Yeah. Stay woke. Yeah. I mean, that means something, not a set of, not a, not a list of merit badges of, you know, whatever, but anyway, uh, of virtue, but, but we have seen in the past decade, I think a radical, radical, radical tidal wave of discourse like the discourse has just changed in the general mainstream culture where like an awareness of things like these concepts like privilege now, which now belong to this dominant group or that dominant group are now uh, people are, are you're sort of divided. I mean, Matt Christman has talked about this beautifully. I think that there's this divide between people who went to college and imbibed the values that the college educated class takes in to make themselves feel like good people in the world or people who didn't go to college and just are alienated from it or who went and were like, this isn't me. And so you, you end up with, so ideas like white privilege or, or male privilege. I think you and I were riffing a little bit on white privilege the other day on Twitter there, Q, you know, if I'm a man who's being told now I have something called male privilege, that idea is I don't have to be a, a, a misogynist bigot. I mean, it helps if I'm a misogynist bigot, but I don't have to be a misogynist bigot to totally chafe at this notion that I now have some, basically an intrinsic original sin by virtue mm -hmm. of being who I am, a, per, a human being who's probably struggling in a whole lot of ways. And again, I'm not excusing or condoning any of the regressive beliefs that any of these people have. I'm not endorsing or co-signing a thing, but the alien, I don't think, I think it's hard to, for us, even us who have some critiques of neo-woke culture to imagine the level of complete alienation and disgust from a huge sector of the population who knows full well that our set disdains them, has nothing but contempt for them. We put them in baskets of deplorables and worse, right? And then there's words like patriarchy, which describe now this abstract now of course there is a meaning to that word and it's it's a useful word in certain contexts but these guys are now living in a space where the whole culture or at least the guardians of elite culture media culture other than the fox news and whatever other networks are out there now have now basically adopted a dogma that doesn't bother to define itself or even earn its keep necessarily intellectually, but just imposes itself and says, this is who, now you are part of These this. These are the problem. new rules, yeah. yeah. These and are the new rules. And nobody, there was no consensus. Nobody agreed well, to any of and, it. And frankly, it happened with gender identity too. What everyone thinks about that, there was all of a sudden a new way of speaking about these things, a new ontology, an entirely new ontology that was never ratified by, by, the, by the populace. You know. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying that, the the suddenness of it and the abruptness of it and the way that you know right thinking people have un unquestioningly adopted it and now parrot it if i'm one of yeah. these guys it's so it's i'm allergic to that and i'm gonna uh, i think we're i think uh, anyone who that. says no to that yeah even if they're fucking yeah. reptile assholes no, I think where it comes to that, it's almost like uh, now we're like canceling grandparents because they're not on board. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, let's, you know, they, yeah. they yeah, they're they're like brand new to all this. And I find that it's a lot of it is the same where it comes to, uh, I mean, you know, being that this is like my area of or subject matter of expertise, where it comes to racial justice, it's like some of some of the things that you're saying are things that even like older black people, like 
people who actually lived through the civil rights era, they're not even on board with it. And they were never Latin, introduced Latinx. to it. And all of a sudden, you've simply, you've just decided it's reality. Yeah, exactly. So like things like, uh, for example, like uh, it's home policing. Like don't, don't tell me that I can't uh, cuss and swear and talk this certain way inside of like, I don't know, like a, a venue where that normally would not be appropriate. And it's like, right. yeah, but you're in, you're in church right now. Like, you're around the black elders. This is just, this is kind of weird. You know what well, I mean? the breakdown, the breakdown of inter- I mean, the the horizontalization of culture, the fact that generations have nothing to say to each other, is a yeah. major major toxic. I mean, it's just it. No sane world, no sane culture can exist for long if there's no intergenerational transmission of values, vocabularies, lexicons, ontologies, myths, any of that. It's just it just doesn't work, you know. So yeah. even the whole OK Boomer thing, it's just a sign of a culture eating itself. Now there's something really interesting that I wanted to say about the word patriarchy and sorry if I'm hijacking this and pulling it over to areas where I know I have something to say about, cause I just don't know these particular personalities, but I hope, I hope this contributes something. So I was listening, there's a Canadian uh, writer and thinker named Stephen Jenkinson, who I think is just fantastic. He's written about death and elderhood and he was on a podcast, um, like a mythic masculine podcast, one of these new agey kind of podcasts. And mm. he was being asked about, uh, patriarchy you know and he broke down the etymology of the word now he said to start out he said i'm not saying that the things ascribed to the word patriarchy are not real a world of imperialism and domination and rape and plunder and male you know valuing of 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 stereotypical masculine things like hyper rationality and all that i'm not i'm not saying that's so he's not gaslighting people who use the word into saying you're referring to nothing, but the word itself, and he's a stickler for words. So it comes from two Greek words, patros, which means father, mm-hmm. and arche, which is that which holds things up, like an arch or architecture, and also is in mm-hmm. archery. And so that ult- ultimately what he's saying is that the, what the patriarchy rightly is, what it always was, or what it should, what it, the possibility of it, it's that which undergirds and supports and makes possible the function of fathering in a culture. And if that is then demeaned and maligned and done away with and villainized, what are we left with? We're left with a world where people don't even have the basis upon which to know how to father or to be fathered. And then we're fucked. And he says also, fathering has nothing to do with man versus woman. Mother can fill the fathering function just like fathers can fill the mothering function, you know? So that I thought was a really interesting way of looking at things that, that we've, these terms, just like woke, started with a valuable purpose, but at, when they become dogma, you're, you're ending up with a situation where you're cutting all of us off from valuable nutrition. You know what I'm saying? Am, am I making any sense? Yeah, it's not even just, it's not just becoming dogma. I think it's also like uh, being chewed into a bolus, you know, like che- chewed into like, it, it, it's all become a, uh, as you say, like very horizontalized uh, understanding of the world where the original meanings of things carry no value whatsoever. And yeah. that what we think that things means or think what we think that things mean carry a hundred percent of the value. I actually saw somebody say the other day on, on, on Twitter. Um, and you know that a tweet is going to be a fucking banger when it says I saw on TikTok, like whatever comes <laughs> afterwards is just going to be amazing. And I saw somebody say that, uh, yeah, I saw a TikTok where um, somebody said, uh, what was it? Like, I, f- I, f- 
I feel it. Sorry, it's real if I feel it or something like that. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's absolutely wrong. That is dead wrong. No, if you feel it, it is actually at odds with reality because whatever you feel about a thing is your interpretation of the thing that happened. So you, like it, it, if you can, if you have, if in order for it to be real, you have to feel it, then there is no such thing as an agreed upon reality. And I think that's kind of where a lot of this is going is that we're all operating off of our own interpretations of what reality is. And yeah. anybody who doesn't buy into that reality is therefore cut off. And that's a sign of a culture. It's falling apart and decline. Yeah. Culture is shared meaning. That's all it is. Yeah. You know, one thing I would add is that, you know, especially with the term patriarchy, there's a certain amount of, I would say the way it's discussed, it's, it's almost like, gen, how would I put this? Like not patronizing, but it's, it's objectifying men in a very weird way. Right. It, yeah. It's like, you're, you know, it's like you, instead of actually interacting with men in your life, you're instead like creating a vision of the most awful man. Like an you- archetype or a, a gestalt yeah. of a man. Yeah. You're thinking of like a gestalt of a man, you know, it's like Roosh V, like imagining the gestalt of like uh, an Estonian woman, but just like a man. And then using that as your way to sort of mediate interactions with men in your day to day life. And I think that's why it's so off putting to so many men is that it's like, well, that's not me. Like, I don't think like that. And, and it's almost like, well, no, you don't, maybe you don't particularly think, but it exists in your head. But it exists. Well, well, it's a thing that it's a thing that exists for guys. It's almost like you, like you may not think it in your head, but somewhere deep down in the male psyche, I who understand the fundamentals of the male psyche have deigned it to be true. Well, this if you is search where, your heart, you'll know it's there. Yeah. And this is where politics breaks down when it gets psychological. Like patriarch, like if you want to use the word patriarchy or whatever you want to call it, there is a system of power. There's a, a mm. system of power that's not personal to any one guy. It's not intrinsic to any one guy. It's not in his DNA. It's learned. It's an ideology. And it says, you know, now radical feminists call it gender, period. They say gender is a hierarchy and ideology that is inherently oppressive. We don't need to get into a debate over those terms or those factions. You know, but I have I have some sympathy for this this view that whatever you call it, there is a system that says, you know, God granted man dominion over the earth, including woman and so on and so forth. And therefore, it's fit and right that society be set up in this way where women be concubines or they be whatever they're available for our pleasure. And you look at our if you look around at our society, you're going to see through a system systematic systemic framework, you are going to see a certain kind of privileging of male concerns over female concerns in a lot of areas, maybe not all of them, but I think it's perfectly reasonable to have a systematic, historical, power-based, like a Marxist feminist view of things. Okay, But that that's nothing to do with individual male psychology or potential or who men are. And the, the, the feminists that I find the most cogent are the ones who don't, you know, sort of veer into this kind of superstitious, there's this thing inside every man, as opposed to men have been indoctrinated by the system as much as we have. And they're put in the role of oppressor and we're put in the role, but it, it oppresses everybody just like an occupation oppresses everybody, you know, just like we're all traumatized by being separated from who we really are, which makes us unable to relate to each other to understand each other, to have real love and connection, which is all any human being really wants.
you know? Mm. So the, but the minute we make it psychological and individual, same thing with white privilege, same thing with any number of things, it loses its political efficacy and it just becomes a game of, I know you are, but what am I? And, and one thing right. I would also add is that the, the sort of political and social left doesn't really have a very good answer to this. Like very often I'll see, it's like, well, you know, the reason why you're not getting dates isn't because of women. The reason why you're not getting dates is because of, you know, a, a capitalist society that forces you to work all the time. And it's like, yes, that is true. Right. I'm not going to like say that's wrong um, or like, oh, you know, this because yeah, it, it is a complicating factor. It, it is. Like, it is you know, yeah. Interest culture of, of looks, you know, and, and this sort of dating, you know, these algorithmic systems of dating and, and applications and this sort of panopticon of technology prevents you from being able to really like engage with the, the opposite sex. And it's all because of these, you know, these, these powers, like socioeconomic power structures. And to us, the problem I would have is that it's like, okay, that is all true. But what am I supposed to do about it, right? It's like, you know, and then it's like, well, what we're supposed to do is you join a union. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take down and fundamentally alter the, so it is like, whoa, well, man, like I'm, I'm just here to yeah, get we're, Yeah, we're going to take down capitalism and in the revolution, this will all be solved. And it's like, okay, um, yeah, it's like, well, what's going to help me tomorrow? Involved in the DSA or, or get involved. Well, no, the DSA is, is a CIA cutout now. So it's like, no, get involved in like, <laughs> like some like weird Marxist cell. And you're like, well, okay. Like that seems, this almost seems as weird as like, it's the, the opposite of like the way to pick up women is to wear like a funny hat from like the the game it's like the opposite it's like well no the way to pick up women is to rip apart the global imperial system and replace it with something else like that seems kind of like a tall order to be it also seems ass backwards like we have nothing to lose but our chains which keep us from getting laid like like we're gonna like overthrow the hegemonic order so that women will yeah, want to like talk it, to it's us. It's World War II what? Stalin's just like sitting there like, all right, well, if once we get these Nazis out of the way, I'm going to get so much tail action. I'm gonna... <laughs> That's right. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, like Hitler, will, Hitler shall cock, cock block us no more. Yeah. And it's so it's like there's no I mean, one thing that I I sort of why I kind of push back on like occasionally this happens on the show where people get really deep into like the capitalism stuff is I'm like, man, like, okay, fine. But we all live under that, right? Like uh, when is capitalism going to disappear? Is it going to be sometime within the next like five years? Cause I would, at, at some point, a lot of people I would assume would like to get a girlfriend in between that time. And I don't necessarily know if like, we're going to be, we're going to dis dismantle the American imperial system sometime in that point. I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe it will. I don't know. But like, I'm, I'm putting my money behind probably not. DSA is the new game. DSA is the new pickup artist spot. Like, that's now. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna oh, my God. Guys, it's going to lure guys there with the promise of like, we're going to fight yeah. the good fight, if you know what I mean. Yeah. We're, so it, it becomes this like, how would I put this? It, and and it, by the way, if I can, it, it, I, I just I feel the need to like add a disclaimer to that. Daniel's completely joking. Do not date within the DSA. Absolutely not. You, yeah, if, yeah. Uh, bang dsa would be like the most no 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 if you want to find like pieces of your body floating in the hudson river or you just want to get like you know like outed as a sex pest sure go ahead and join the dsa or Demo uh, democratic socialists of america if you would 
basically like if you if you want to be dismembered and have your organs sold um or have your life ruined sure yeah go ahead and date within the dsa but other than that absolutely not don't do that occupy democrats if if you want to have a woman (laughs) with bangs scream at you on twitter more so than ordinary (laughs) (laughs) all right let's uh, let's take a few calls uh cameron you can go ahead and unmute yourself what's what's going on bro Hey, how's it going, fellas? Pretty do, good, pretty good. I do appreciate your analysis. I feel like what you're getting at is people should have more empathy before they start having these conversations. So as a Christian myself, I feel like there's a lot of lack of empathy when it comes to Ian talking about certain subjects. And then they essentially get gate kept. So what that leads to is censoring of information from the male sphere, for example, Andrew Tate got banned. It not only pushes men more to the fringes, they go on forums, they get more radicalized, and it just creates this feedback loop that eventually leads to terrorism um, and violence. So I do like your perspective. I feel like more people should have empathy when it comes to talking about this subject. Whether you're an incel or the most extreme third-way feminist, um, that, that's what I'm getting out of this. So I appreciate that. Um, you you bring that stuff I don't, up. I don't know that I would say that this stuff leads to terrorism and violence. I think I think well, I think those are sort of movement yeah. in particular. This is the this is the anniversary of uh, that fucking Quebec the, uh, attack. They called Polytechnique, yeah. That's that guy was a fucking incel par excellence back in the eighties. Right. I just don't think that um uh, I'm gonna put this. I don't think that uh, men having no ability to, I don't know, like uh, be an Andrew Tate type of figure is what leads to violence. I think these are sort of like separate tracks that exist within the same linguistic milieu, if that makes any sense at all. I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, and Rory and I have talked about this. If um, Elliot Roger had had not been successful um, in, in carrying out his attack, he would actually go down as a comedic genius. Because... <laughs> His manifesto is so funny. It is. So, um, his manifesto is absolutely hill. Because the thing is, like, you well, read through not, it and you get. It's like depressing because he killed a bunch of people. But outside of that, yeah. it's so like he's like, I I have the aquiline nose of a British royal. It's like, what, what man? Yeah, you read through this stuff and it's like this guy, it, like, it doesn't matter that he's being listened to or, or not. He's probably like he was the he was the daughter of a or he was the son of a Hollywood producer. And his 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 uh, mother was also, I think, fairly successful. And this is somebody that I think had a fairly charmed life. He wasn't not being listened to. Whatever was wrong with him, I don't think had anything to do with his voice being disregarded. He was just a fucking nut job that had these uh, really weird ideas about how the gamification of relationships. And this is like prior to like the tinder era really but like that like relationships are so gamified towards a certain type of human being and he's supposed he like he ticks all the boxes and yet it's just not working out for him i i think it actually has a lot more to do with people who view the world through this like coldly logical rational lens where they've either included themselves in to the people that are supposed to be domineering and patriarchal and supposed to have like oodles of women throwing themselves at them and the guys who have automatically selected themselves out of it and the way that you know that this is true there's a a site that i found out about today called 
looksmaxing.org. I, I like I'm looks not maxing. sure if you looks maxing looks L, <laughs> maxing.org and what it is is these guys that remember like these um remember way back in like the 2000s where you had like the uh the pro ana forums like the pro anorexia forums or basically like these uh these forums where man. pardon me how to be an attractive young man that's the tagline yeah. Okay. So remember the, uh, the these there were okay. these these like pro anorexia and these like eating disorder forums back in the day where women would just sort of like harshly grade each other and say like yeah you know like y- your face is it's it's just not going to be the type that will ever be like successful in life you're not you're not going to find a husband you're not going to find a rich husband you're never going to be able to model or anything what you need to do is lose like thirty pounds and here's how you do it uh, and they would like give each other like advice on like being able to effectively starve themselves. But then they would also talk about like cosmetic surgery, like yeah, you need to like get a nose job and get a brow lift and this, that, and the third. Like, looks maxing is the exact same thing. It's 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 like it's, it's completely boomeranged back to guys grading each other and saying like yeah, if you if you want to quote unquote looks max, which is you want to max out the stats that will make you a looker because like only chads will succeed in society. So what you have to do is, and they're not just talking about what's, like working what's out. What's the best build? Yeah, what's your, it, it, what's your loadout? Oh, yeah. well, my my loadout, my my uh, yeah, no, my, my loadout is uh, is money maxing and looks maxing. Like that, that's no, that's all it's ever going to work. My favorite me, right? is jester maxing. That is, <laughs> jester maxing has just <laughs> it's it's just remained stuck yeah. in my head. It's like uh, who's it? Dave Courtney when he went to like when he dressed up as a jester for a trial. Like all all I can think about is that. Just for Yeah. I want to pick up on something the caller said, though. Cameron, was it? Yeah. I think the word empathy is so important. Are you still there, Cameron? Yeah. Hi. Hi. I think the word empathy is so important. And look, let's admit it. We get on the internet, we do shows like this, largely to laugh together or to like look at things and see through things. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, it's not a bad thing. We, you know, have fun with people who see things the same way, try to understand things better. But I think remembering to bring some empathy too is important to round out our intelligence because otherwise we're just not, we're electing not to see what's in front of us. And when you look at these guys, everyone arrived to be the way they are. I mean, you can call someone nuts if you want, but why are they nuts? How did they get that way? What did they need coming into the world and what didn't they get? I mean, one of the main one of the first principles or the first things we say in this book on, on trauma and healing is that there's different kinds of trauma. There's the big T traumas that of the bad shit that happens to people, rape, incest, genocide, murder, uh, you know, the calamities, right? Something that'll give you complex PTSD. And then there's the small T trauma of good things, not happening, not being seen for who you are, your parents being too stressed to pay undivided attention to you. Um, and this is not to coddle people, but human beings have basic needs. And if we don't get them met, we grow into warped, distorted, twisted versions of ourselves in all kinds of ways. We cope, we compensate. And some of us cope in, in, in liberal directions and some of us cope in reactionary right wing directions. And these guys we're talking about are lonely, scared, uh, whatever. And, and as far as incels go, I, I, it just so happens, I just wanted to recommend some music that really, I think, captures the incel mindset in a very empathetic, not, it doesn't like condone it or anything. You ever heard of, you know, Joe Jackson, the singer from like the 70s and 80s? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So is she really going out with him? Uh, is like an amazing incel anthem. And he has other songs on the same album, Look Sharp, uh, like Happy Loving Couples and Pretty Girls and You Got the Fever, where he's expressing the disgust and alienation and ambivalence of a young guy who can't get laid. And it, he's depicting it. It's art. I mean, it's a character. And you really hear, and it rocks, but it's also disturbing. Uh, he's, not, uh, he's not trying to convert you to it. But he is, it is cathartic in a sense. And I feel like there's none of that now. There's no actual art being made. People are just completely in character all the time and they're identifying with it completely, you know? So I think, but I think it takes empathy to make art. And so what you're pointing to, I mean, look, I'm not a Christian, but if Christianity breeds more empathy in the world, which we can see the evidence that sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, but I mean, man, that's important. And without it, we're all a lot stupider, I think. And one thing I would add to that, um, the one, because the thing about like, um, what, what was the, the website, like what, looksmaxing.org or whatever? Yeah. Is that yeah. It's, it's deeply, it's deeply negative, right? Like, and this is something very important, I think, for everybody online. It, it's, it's, it's guys basically just convincing each other or oftentimes like just straight up gaslighting each other and just saying like, yeah, you've got no shot at life unless you do these Oh, it's worse things. than that. I yeah, agree, but it's worse than that. Yeah, but, uh, but just to, to finish, I mean, it, and it, it sort of has, you know, and, and the thing is, the same thing happens on like in a lot of left circles too, where it's like, oh, there's nothing we can do. Like everything's falling apart. We're all going to be dead. It's just like very deeply hopeless. And and, and that in itself, the, the, the deep irony there is that, that is one of the main ways to push anybody away from you, right? Is to be like, you know, everybody loves an optimist, right? Everybody enjoys, like one, I think one thing that the, a lot of the most successful Manosphere figures do is that they are at least very optimistic in their own way, at least about themselves, right? You know, they don't want to have somebody that just sits around and just complains all the time. Just complains and yeah, is it all moody and whatnot. Like the most successful guys now are the ones that are just like, listen, get off, get off your ass, and go do shit. Go, you know, it's like uh, if I was writing for Saturday Night Live, I would totally do a skit of like, like the Morrissey Manosphere, or like, (laughs) you know what I'm saying, like a weepy, self pitying, like totally no motivation. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. The uh, the that like is actually That is hilarious, especially <laughs> considering that that guy is like, despite being Irish, he's like a full-on unionist, which makes no goddamn sense. But that's just no crazy. sense whatsoever. Imagine being an orange Irish. Thank you, thank you, yeah. thank you. That's like being well, there, there no, are a lot of them. It's like no, 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 no. Q, that's like you'll understand this. That's like being like a British Canadian and being for Quebec independence. <laughs> exactly. That's, like, well, yeah. What the, was your uh, what, what was what was your to, uh, what was your addition to this one here? Uh, th- I'm glad Daniel's here about talking about the Manosphere figures. I have an insight because I used to write for a Manosphere site. Like Q knows what I'm talking about. He's, he knows oh, how many stuff. different tendencies did you write for? You wrote for like the no, uh, no, no. The, I'm, talking the the I'm talking about the same one. I'm talking about the same. I'm talking about the same. Okay, okay. okay the okay. one like Onyx Truth. That's the one. The thing about Onyx Truth is that it is kind of a study. No, thing. no, but you also didn't you also write with um, what's her name, Crystal and Terry? Yes, her yes, I did that too. Yes, I yeah, did. yeah, 
yeah, but going back to the whole uh, uh, Justin Figueroa, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Going what I was saying about um, Onyx Truth, this is what I would say about them is with the guy who runs it, Gil. Gil is an insight into that because to give you a little backstory, and this is all stuff that he has said on the air, so I'm not slandering him at all. He was in the army during the for thirteen, I think like twelve or thirteen years. He was in the Iraq war and was sent to Kuwait. Apparently he got certified in IT while in the army, I guess. Who stranger things have happened, who knows? But apparently mm-hmm. he will never shut up about how cool he was back then. Yet if you look up what Gil looks like now, he he looks like he looks like Matt Forney if like his mom was black but his dad was but his dad was uh, Anthony Camilla. That's what Gil looks like. He looks like Anthony Camilla's bastard child with like a very self-hating black woman. That is what oh Gil looks like. But that is a guy who is well past his prime and yet will not let shit go. I am not kidding. There is one one of his streams where he openly brags about a woman doing statutory rape to him, and it's so fucked up. I remember it because it happened right at the beginning of uh, the pandemic lockdown. I remember this. It is so fucked. But the reason well, I, I mean, I, I think, but I think, I think, what, or what we're getting at here is that uh, a lot of these like these marginal types of figures, these really weird dudes. And I got to say, like, I don't even like I, I, I took a bit of a deep dive into this stuff and I'm not even really sure who you're talking. Like, I don't I, I don't know this. Dude. Oh, no, you're not. I believe, that's, what, I believe what you were saying. But yeah. I'm, oh, no, I'm no, just... no, 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 no. He's he's not that big of a figure. Like if this was like old Hollywood, he would be like where Ronald Reagan was before he became governor. Governor. You, you get what, yeah. I'm trying to say? what I'm saying, though, is that like so now now we have, I think, some of these more charismatic figures and people are really upset that. uh you know, like a, a lot of guys, young guys especially, are, are gravitating towards them. But the thing is, they're incredibly compelling figures. I mean, oh, I agree. I agree. The, yeah, regardless of what might come out of Andrew Tate's mouth or the things that he's like prompted to say on podcasts and what's in his his uh, past, I'm sorry, but like the amount of, uh, especially like going down this rabbit hole, I'll find people using Andrew Tate clips. Maybe not even having Andrew Tate on, but they'll like have clips of what he's saying. And I'm sorry, the guy is a comedic genius. Like. After he got oh, banned I agree. I agree. from all of the platforms, and then he does this episode on his show where he said, imagine shooting a man with your last bullet, and he stands there, unfazed. And, dude, the first time I heard that. I, saw, I, I know to, what you're talking about. I almost I had to, yeah, I had to pause the video and walk away so I could laugh. <laughs> I was it like, was, I'm sorry. This shit was so how funny. How is it I'm like, that okay, all the comedic yeah. geniuses now are on the right. I mean, Trump I will is, get to that. I'm going to get Trump to that. Is, Trump yeah. is the funniest fucking dude in the world. He's he losing. Is he's so lo- funny. He, he's losing. I, he's, I think he's losing his rhythm a little bit. You know, he's getting into well, you know, his, his early days. It's early days. I think. Well, well, yeah, we'll see. But I mean, but I mean, like we, we used to have fucking Colbert and now he, you know, like, uh, and Colbert is just like a run of the mill centrist now. Here's oh, what I think it is. Worse than I keep in mind. Can, can I give my keep theory? Keep in mind, yeah, I'd, love, I'd love to hear your theory, Teranos. He got popular imitating right wing. So he got popular imitating uh, Bill O'Reilly. He got, he got popular imitating right wing figures. So the thing was, he could just say things and you had to let it slide because it's like he's not serious. He doesn't believe it. He's just joking. 
and the problem now is that people, especially like, especially on the left, don't have that ability to say it's just a joke. And They're just joking. To, they don't mean it. And, and that goes to my theory. And and Q will also know where I'm going because it goes to a longstanding uh, figure that me and him always make fun of whenever I come on here on anything he's on. I feel like part of the reason why we have this like failure to appeal from the left or like liberals at all to appeal is because the vision of masculinity that they're putting forward frontwards as far as like optics is it, it goes in two different directions, but both ways are like equally alienating because if you think about it, what are the two modes of masculinity that libs put out of, you know, I guess you'd say cishet men. You're either like actually physically attractive. Like super aggy, super aggy, just like uh, like eighties action hero, bro. Or yeah, just you're either the like or you're just soy dude in existence. No, no, no. It, there's a worse one. There's one in between that, that I see more and more now, and it makes me so angry. And the thing that makes me angry is because the first time I saw this kind of guy was in the black community with Derek Jackson, but now I see it more with white guys who are doing the Derek Jackson thing of being like this swole-ass himbo who just says whatever these women want, no matter how stupid it sounds. And that's why it's so alienating. It's like the Derek Jackson became the mainstream in the culture on one half, but then front facing. But then the front facing yeah. half are just these incredibly soy assholes. The guy like that, Rod, uh, like the guy Rod, that Terry like Crews was. No, he's he's the guy that Terry Crews was trying to be. I, I, I think you're saying. Oh no 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 no! He's what Terry Crews is to white people. No offense, guys. Yeah. Uh, but um. That's fine. But he's. Yeah, what, I don't think I don't think I think we're gonna take offense. Yeah, especially not the white Jedi. I only I only play a, I only play a white person in real life. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't worry, Daniel. I, I'm assuming you're some you look Catalonian anyway, so yeah, yeah. he more you know he Levantine Hebraic and Ma, and Magyar, which is hardly white. I was also going to listen, say, man. Oh, no. I'm not even trying to get into all these subcategories of crack. I was going right? to say like, Maltese, you, you, but let's get back to the top of the I'm not a saltine. Yeah. Put it that way. Maybe maybe. No, I said tri- Maltese. Maltese. Trisket. I'm an Acmac tra- cracker, actually. No, I was going to say Maltese. Okay. I was going to guess Maltese. Oh, Maltese. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows where us Jews have been over the years? Yeah, bro, actually, I'm, I do know. A, I do know. A bro, Maltese I'm Berber. Dude, okay? I, we've been everywhere, pretty much. <laughs> no, I, I do know a Maltese dude, but get this. So his name, and he wouldn't mind me saying this because like his he ran for office, it. so his name is out there. No, no, his name is uh, his name is Peter Fennick, right? The funny thing is, in uh, in Maltese, Fennick means rabbit. The dude's name is literally fucking. It's Peter Rabbit. <laughs> is it? Is yeah. It, quick, yeah. Quick point before we get back to the topic ahead, is it Pete Buttigieg Maltese? No. Yeah. He is. Uh, yeah. No, he is. Oh, there's another guy too. There is. <laughs> no. What is? Oh, he's homosexual. That's what he is. <laughs> I think I heard that somewhere. Josh Holly, but there's different. Maybe it's um. Oh, Evan Noons, I think. Representation matters. Yeah, it all came out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, damn. <laughs> damn, Daniel. Uh, uh, oh, comedy God. lives here. Yeah, no, no, there was a, oh. was it? uh, it's not Dana Rohrbacher, but uh, he was the, the guy who oh. now, social, I think, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, 
he's from like the Azores, which is like another one of these like weird like quasi Mediterranean or like Mediterranean adjacent mm-hmm. islands. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, yeah, it's like Portuguese yet not. Yeah, it's like off the coast. Like it's kind of like halfway somewhere in the Atlantic. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he's basically the... the people who just like make delicious fish dishes is, is how I know them. <laughs> You know, they're like the they're always the the guys you first colonize in the uh, Crusader Kings two uh, tutorial yeah. or some one of those. Uh, anyway, but sorry, I, I, I sorry that was just like an interruption there. Let's keep going. Um, All right, uh, hey, D, what, what you got for us? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, a yeah. D, you can. A couple things. Oh, there you are. Yeah. Hey. A couple things. One, I think that um, it's a problem with the fact that, and I was just, I just noticed that that a lot of young, obviously guys talk about uh, dating and everything like that, but I've noticed that guys, if they're not doing well with dating, are less likely to be like, "Yeah, man, I'm not doing well." So it actually creates some isolation because I've had, I've known mm-hmm. people who've gone through the manosphere thing. The second thing that I think is is the big issue is that the the left and more more importantly mainstream media do not give a good like the last caller said it a, a good response like so you have all these guys like andrew tate or whatever and they're saying yeah you know work out work really hard under this capitalist system and you'll get the girl and then the mainstream response and this is really pissing me off is how they proselytize therapy and they're like these young boys just need to go to therapy right. and it will all be fixed and it's like it will help but it's not going to do everything and then the lefty response, right? You're increasing. Well, here's the thing: you don't, you don't, you don't even know no, that therapy I hear... will help per se. Like, yeah. But what's I'm the sorry, left, what's the left what's the lefty response? And I don't want to say left, but liberal response is you have these crop of people who pretend that, for example, if we're just talking about heterosexual dating, that none of the dynamics matter. Like I've heard people be like, "Well, we need to just tell these men to just not learn about these gender norms and these gender roles and they're all problematic and it's like you can believe that but telling a guy that is disempowering because he knows that that's not true like in a heterosexual relationship the guy's going to be most of the time expected to ask the woman out and propose and all these dances that we do so just pretending like it doesn't exist because you want to have like your make your point and be able to no, pretend all this stuff doesn't matter. I don't think that's helpful advice. And I'm increasingly seeing that where it's like, we need to pretend that masculinity doesn't exist and de-learn masculinity. It's like, how right. is it helping the 19-year-old that's trying to talk to the girl at the frat party? He can't be like... Well, and... and yeah, he's yeah. not going to be like, you know what? I'm, I'm yeah. not going to ask you out because that would be problematic and that would be reinforcing patriarchal notions. Like, that's just... That's not realistic. And I, and you see way too much of that. Absolutely. And Oh, go ahead. Uh, I'll, I'll talk afterwards. I would say one thing I would add, definitely, because I, I agree with that. And I think it's it's these very, like, kind of sociological terms that are put into kind of mainstream discussion. And it's like, well, we need to, like, unlearn masculinity. And it's like, well, what does that mean? And, and like, 90% of the time, it's like, well, you should just paint your nails. I was like, okay, it's uh, a little weird. Or, like, it's okay to be fruity. And it's like, okay, yeah. But there there isn't really a it's almost as if they're, they're more concerned about having a take or having like some reason sociological opinion than actually giving like advice. Like that's the one thing is, it, it, you know, when you and I were talking about starting this show, you know, one thing I said is it's like, you know, something that is actually like by men that is geared towards men. Right. And it isn't geared towards like, it doesn't just take like Twitter terms and kind of throw it back at guys. 
Because that is one thing that, that people kind of do is they sort of, they take these like terms and they, they, you know, ideas like, you know, structural, you know, patriarchal forces in society. And it's like, well, none of us can fix that, right? That's going to require everybody to work together and it's going to be a whole thing and it's going to take years, right? So, you know, we need to like move it back to the to present and, you know, start giving advice to people that, you know, that, that need that advice. Now, I mean, one thing, this actually got me in a shit ton of trouble on Twitter, uh, but I, I'm pointing out that I, the one thing I find very interesting about Jordan Peterson, right? Because in particular, Jordan Peterson, I find him a very interesting figure. Oh, he's um, fascinating. He's fascinating. I mean, he, on, on one level, he's incredibly boring, but he's fascinating. Oh, yeah. No, I read his – I actually did read 12 Steps for Life. And I will, one thing I will say right off the bat, I did not – I thought when people were talking about, like, the lobster talk, that was just like, oh, he referenced it and people are making a big deal. No, man, that guy talks a lot about lobsters in that book. It goes on. And the man is in need of an editor. But one thing that I think that's very – the reason why I find Jordan Peterson such an interesting figure, you know, even though he's grouped in – by a lot of people, especially people on the left, with this sort of like inter intellectual dark web, right? You know, guys like Steven Crowder, Ben Shapiro, uh, who else? Kind of Joe Rogan, but not really. Um, and he, he's always got a, he's always got a seat at Rogan's table. You know, I don't know who else is there's uh, who's that other guy, Dave Rubin, right? Yeah, Dave Rubin. Yeah. And the thing I, where I think that Jordan Peterson actually very much differs is that I've never. I've never experienced, I've never met a guy that was like into Ben Shapiro that wasn't already like a movement conservative. I've never met a guy that was into Steven Crowder that wasn't just already like a Republican, right? Yeah. And, and politically just like keyed in, yeah. right? I've never met somebody that's just like apolitical, but really likes Ben Shapiro. In fact, most of the time people talk about Ben Shapiro, it's just like clips of him. They don't even listen to his, his full show. But people who aren't into politics are into Jordan Peterson. Right. And that's the thing. I know a lot of guys who otherwise totally apolitical, right? Don't have any opinions on like transgender issues. Don't have any issues on racism. So, like they're, they're not even like, they think that Trump is kind of funny, but like otherwise are totally checked out of politics. You know, they're into like the gym working out and stuff and they love Jordan Peterson, right? They absolutely like click with this guy in a way that, People in other circles don't, right? I mean, these guys, these are guys that like didn't really put in any effort in high school or they're like engineers in college that kind of just did their own thing. Cause I was, you know, I was a math major. So I, I dealt with a lot of engineers and, and that's where a lot of these guys who are into Jordan Peterson kind of came from, but they'll just sit there. Right. And they'll just listen to like his lectures, right. In, in ways like they wouldn't, people won't listen to like, more than a minute and 30 seconds of Ben Shapiro, right? Mostly right. because I do think his voice is, is deeply, deeply off <laughs> Yeah. But listen to hours of Jordan Peterson. Well, right? he's, I mean, he's got a mesmerizing way. I mean, wiz like wizardly mesmerizing, but, but whether you think it's good or evil or, or chaotic neutral, well, it's, it's definitely mesmerizing. And, and I, I would like, actually put, uh, I would actually put Jordan Peterson more in the category of the, uh, the myth of poetic men's movement guys. I think well, he was he, just a little bit too late for his time. Yeah, he, he is. I just think he's he's a he, he's he's not as he, his his intellect of Jews recently. You know, like on Twitter, he's like <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, trying yeah. to push back on Kanye and whatever. And and in his very pedantic, overworded way, 
sort of explain the illogicalness and the then the moral reprobateness of anti-Semitism. But he, uh, the one clip I saw, he said to Netanyahu. So I, I'm not sure if I understand the the principle of uh, of of uh, original of first some kind of le- legal principle under British mandate law. And he's basically saying, but you know, so but it it is obviously a complicated situation because there were there were people there and uh, and and Netanyahu was like. No, there were there was no one here. There was nobody <laughs> here for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have, and, he has to do the terra so, thing. So yeah. what's really funny, just like Alex Jones interviewing Kanye West, now you see Alex Jones and Jordan Peterson trying to get right with you know, they're trying to get their minds right. They're trying to they're trying to be nice like good guys now. They're trying to pull themselves back from the brink of intolerance and bri- make bridges, but their allies, the people they've ended up in bed with, I think Will Menneker was talking about this, it's very funny, are just unwilling to go there with them and they find themselves like what the fuck do i do like i've made this deal with the devil and now here i am i kind of felt for peterson in that moment here's the thing about peterson that i i I actually do i think that he he it's almost like he's a victim of the way that he came to success like he started off i i don't actually think he's that move i mean like he he became this like anti-trans figure and I well, think that's anti-coercion. And you're not going to tell me how to how to speak. But like he became sort of in with that sort of milieu. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He's like Ben Shapiro guys, and I actually I do really think that he almost kind of regrets that now, where it's like that's the only thing he can do, and I don't think that's where his interest really lies. Because prior to that, I mean, he wrote some book called like Maps of Meaning, which like who cares, right? Who gives a shit? I don't, it's like, I think it's supposed to be very, very like esoteric. Jungian, uh, archetypical. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's but too smart for me. But um, the other thing, or maybe not, but then, you know, he goes and he writes like a self-help book based off of, I think, a Quora answer. He's a Quora guy. So that, that really should tell you something. Um, but it, it's almost like he, his passion, I feel like is much more in like, yeah, like, like male, almost self-help and like learning how to like navigate this world and he's sort of i think he's realizing now he's become boxed into this like weird reactionary movement that i just don't think it's not that he's like like oh he's like pro trans rights or whatever it's like no he's not that at all but i I think he's now realizing like oh this is actually holding me back right well you know what so so what's really interesting about him is that he used to be this kind of invulnerable he's now weeping in every interview his emotions are right on the surface the guy is a rictus of pain. I mean, his his pain and trauma are right there on his face. Um, and That's I think just Irish that, American excellence, though, like we're just the weepiest people. Who's that? Irish American excellence. Irish American. I, I, I don't know if he's Irish American. At least Canadian, but he's he, yeah, he's very. There's something, yeah. But I think people identify with the pain he's in and a kind of stoic, um, making sense of it with the intellect. And it's a, it's a simulacrum of emotion. Like it feels to me like sentiment rather than genuine vulnerability, but it's, it's the next, it's the closest thing to vulnerability. A lot of these people can get, you know? And like I said, it's very interesting that fans of my dad's are some of them. There is a Venn diagram overlap between him and, and they couldn't have a more different, more antithetical approach to child rearing, for instance. I'm not talking about the way my dad actually raised his kids, but certainly what he, uh, what he advocates you know, Jordan Peterson talks about the way to raise a child is to socialize them, to 
terrorize them into behaving in a way that you would like so that other people will like them and to uh, not pick up your baby if they're crying and to uh, basically teach your children and to, to give, he's you know, like, he boasts that he could uh, frighten his daughter into compliance with an evil stare and that this is what you're supposed to do to raise socially well-adjusted kids. It's a recipe for raising insane people, uh, sick people, unhappy people, depressed people, addicted people. It just is. I mean, he's just wrong about that. But yet people find in him some kind of sympathetic character as if he understands, as if he feels their pain. And I think that can't be overstated. There must be some kind of empathy frequency where they like, here's a guy who sees me. And it's not, I don't feel that way about him at all, but I do think you're right. It's not just the intolerance and the reactionariness and all that stuff. He's, you talk about maps of meaning. Well, that's what he is purporting to provide. And some people seem to find a lot of meaning in those maps. Yeah. And, and I, I would add, um, you know, I, the other thing I Oops. think that there are nothing that they'll, why I don't think that there is really an answer for him that the left or at least the cultural left is really provided is that it's, it's clear steps, right? It, it's not just like join yeah. the DSA or, or, or go get involved in a movement, like something very broad and, and sort of like unclear. It's like, no rules tomorrow. You're going to wake you're going to rules. Like you are going to wake up tomorrow at 6am and you're going to make your bed and then you're going to go on a walk. Dude, I could, I could use that kind of structure. I really could. Yeah, no. And like, it's, it's something that like I can see, you know, and, and like things that, you know, I have done, you know, to, to bring structure back into my life since, you know, coming out of COVID and stuff like I, you know, in the recovery process, it's like those kinds of like rigid elements of like, no, I am going to sleep and that's it. I'm doing that. Totally. That's what I'm doing tomorrow. And then, you know, it's these strict regulations where it's like, and, and things with immediate feedback, right? Like going and joining a workers movement, whatever that means, it's not going to give you immediate feedback or, or like getting involved in like, or reading like left-wing material. It doesn't give you immediate feedback, right? It doesn't give you yeah. the same thing where it's like you wake up, you make your bed, you go to the gym, you come home and you see a made bed, a clean house. And well, it gives you a different kind of immediate feedback. And that's why there's value, I think, in all of it. It gives you the immediate feedback of collective purpose. I mean, if you go into it for that and if you join the right group, then because that's a human need, too. We need order. We need structure. We need self-reliance. We need mastery. We need, you know, inner peace and quiet. We need space. We need we also need connection with nature. So going for a walk, all that. But we also need to be connected to others. We need empathy and compassion. We need to have a sense of collective responsibility. And we live in a society that denies that to us as a matter of course. So there, there's nutrition to be found in all these things, you know? And, and I think that there's, that that is one thing that on the left, there just is not really an example of like, there's just, it's either very broadly vague or it's, there are times when it, it's, it, it's actually pushed away. Like any kind of responsibility gets, gets like pushed off, right? Like, especially with like ableism talk, right? It's like, well, not yeah. everybody can walk. It's like, okay, but 95% of people can walk, right? Not everybody yeah. can. Not everybody can dunk either. Yeah, not I, everybody. I can't dunk. dunk. But you still like, but, or, or it's, it's simple things where it's like, 
you know, like not everybody can work out or not everybody has this. It's like, yeah, but most people can. And everybody right? and everybody can do something that's more physically exerting than they're currently doing. Yeah. And, and, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And, and one thing I do think that like Jordan Peterson does is he provides like a rubric. It's structure, and discipline that just does not really exist anywhere else. In fact, Which, if anything... Yeah in a lot of left circles is the opposite, right? It's like, totally. almost, they're, they're a little too forgiving. It's like, it's hedonism. And, and yeah. Well, it, I wouldn't even go as far as to say hedonism. It's more like they become almost too accepting of failure. Right. Right. It, it's like, no, they don't like, want to stig- They don't want to stigmatize. Yeah. And it's like, when in reality, it's like, no, like you should wake up, you should do X, you should do Y, you should do Z and, and you will start to feel better. And as yeah. you start to feel better, you will begin to, you know, gain, not like you're going to gain influence, you're going to frame friends, but you'll notice that people will want to be around you. It's like, because you're fun, yeah. you're engaging, you're you're out- going to oh. gain, a, you're going to gain an inner sense of integrity. And I can actually see as you're talking, if I was a young man who had followed some of these rules and was starting to gain an inner sense of integrity for the first time in my life, I don't mean moral integrity, I mean, structural integrity like putting the spokes back into my wheels so that my wheel rolls down the street for the first time in my life. I can hold my head high. I can have conversations with people. I can talk to my parents without feeling overwhelming shame. I can do my job. You know what I'm saying? I would, if I was one of those guys, and again, I'm extending, I'm extending an empathic, empathetic leap of a leap of empathetic imagination. I have to stretch my empathy to imagine this because I'm not one of these guys. I would I would go to quite a lot of lengths to protect someone like Jordan Peterson from being dismissed, mocked, written off as a bigot. That guy would have provided something for me that would be more precious to me than gold. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And, and, and I, so I'd I, be very attached to him. Oh, yeah. And, and there's one I, I remember I heard like a clip of him where he's on like some some podcast and, and, you know, he's talking about, you know, I was helping out like a particular young man. He was. In his 30s, you know, he didn't, he didn't really care. Like he, he was kind of like lost, you know, he didn't have any sort of drive and he's living with his parents, you know, just all this other stuff. Like, oh, you know, he's, his room was messy. He had, he had no job or like he had, I think he had had a kid, but the kid wasn't there. His wife had kind of, or his ex had sort of had custody. And he's like, well, what can you do? And he goes, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, can you clean your room? at least, right? And I know that that's a stereotype of Jordan Peterson, but it's like, can you clean your room? The guy, you know, goes, he gets the, the vacuum cleaner, he puts it down. And apparently, according to Jordan Peterson, he spent three weeks just walking over the vacuum cleaner to get into his room, which was still dirty. And Jordan right. Peterson, okay, so you can't do that, but what can you do? Can you pick up your bedside table? And he goes, yeah, I can do that. And, and so he goes and he does that. And he goes, okay, well, now can you maybe tidy up the clothes, right? He goes, does that. He's like, now can you vacuum, right? And then he vacuums. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's this structure, right? This feedback yeah. that you have, as opposed to saying, well, he maybe he has ADHD, so he can't vacuum the room. And it's like, no, like the excuse doesn't really matter. The Even if he has ADHD, he can do one thing at a time. Yeah, ADHD the, can be healed. And, and beyond that, it's like, even if, you know, even if you, like whatever your reason, at the end of the day, the room has to be cleaned. That's right. You know, at the end or, of the day, or you have to choose to, or you have to choose to live in it chaotically and accept the consequences of what that's like. But either way, he's talking about responsibility. 
And responsibility, most people hear it as a burden or like, you're not going to make me responsible. You're not going to stigmatize me. But actually, it's a corny new age play on words. But responsibility is responsibility. If you're not responsible for your experience, you have no control of it. You're completely the victim of it. And people who are offering people a sense of agency and an empowering sense of responsibility that isn't externally imposed burden, but is actually internally sourced sense of cause in the matter of one's own life. Um, again, that's very compelling to people and everyone needs it on a certain level. And I do think the left, as smart ass as we are and as right as we are about some, a lot of things, we could be a little humbler and a little more curious about what are we failing to provide for people that other factions of the spectrum are seeming to provide. And that idea of structure and self-reliance and integrity and mastery and responsibility is not to be underestimated, I think, as a compelling currency for, for young men. And Dantes asks, how are guys growing up feeling this type of way that you're describing? What's not happening at home? In short, there's no security. There's no emotional. I mean, it's, it's, you should read the, the book I wrote with my dad. The myth of normal you're gonna get a you'll get a real sense of yeah. it i think I, I actually i have uh i have the kindle version downloaded and it's on my it's on my to read list oh good um i've got yeah i've got a couple of other books in the queue but it, it's on my list um well, i wanted me, to make sure let that, me know what uh, you think yeah absolutely i wanted to make sure that uh rather and robert were able to uh to get yeah for sure let's, wrap let's up. let our let's let our callers <clears throat> yeah what's good y'all can hear me yeah right. yeah, going, can hear you. all right then for sure what's good um I had a question, like, would basically like the manosphere be desirability politics, but just like done better? Because like, you know, I think back to when I first noticed, like the manosphere started becoming something relevant and it was through like pickup artist culture. Um, back in the early to mid two thousands when YouTube first became a thing and you know, that book, Neil Strauss, uh, had made the game. I actually had that book, you know, because I was curious I, about I all still, of that. And I like, still have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like at that time, because like I was getting, I was getting out of high school. You know, I was like a lot of young dudes. You know what I'm saying? Like how to get girls and you know talk to women and stuff like that. And when I read that book, I ain't even gonna cap. It kind of felt like a book for like a pyramid scheme, you know, and. It was like a lot of manipulative stuff and how to persuade women rather than to just, um, how can I connect, put it? Like connect with them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So whereas like on the left, you know, in my later years, you know, being in like left space, left spaces compared to the man of spirit, what I noticed is the man of spirit talks a lot about responsibility when it comes to the men, whereas in these left, left spaces, especially like feminist spaces or LGBTQ spaces, it's a lot about validation. Yep. You know, you're valid. I see you. I hear you. I understand your feelings. It's a lot of you pity. Off. Yeah. You exist. You know, you're real, you know, so on and so forth. Whereas like on the manosphere, it's like, look, you got to get your shit together. Like, this is what you do. This is A, B, C, D, E, F, X, Y, Z. So would you basically, would y'all basically say it's like desirability politics or 
Like, is this something else, or like, what would y'all get way, at? With in it? a way, it is. In a way, it is desirability politics. And Can we, we define all, desirability uh, politics? Not a term I've ever. Desirability heard. politics are basically just how, like, uh, you know, like every everything in life just comes down to how desirable you are as a person. So, for example, like, uh, people talk about like uh, representation in film, and it's like, oh, well, you know, I, I. I see myself represented in this movie because the love interest is like an Asian woman, or I see myself represented in this film because I feel attractive for the first time because an attractive person played this role. So, or I see myself represented like, in this movie because Robert Downey Jr. is in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you get the idea that like, you know, beyond like, so yeah, beyond the artifice of like material politics, like things that actually matter in our lives or like, well, how desirable you are as a person. Um, based on whether or not uh, you feel attractive or that you feel that uh, the kind of person that would want you would be attracted to you. Okay. Right. And we see this, we we see this kind of stuff all the time, right? Like you see me get like really annoyed about it on Twitter when people basically just like bring things down to like who, who wants to fuck me or not. Right. So I call it fuckability. But I think manage for your stuff. It it is in a way desirability politics because it, it, a lot of it does bring things down to, who's attracted to you and who's not going to be attracted to you and why, but it actually provides a path forward. So it doesn't leave the, uh, the X factor of are people going to be attracted to you and are you going to be happy? It doesn't leave it down to something that's outside of you, like a Hollywood film uh, or a a person is elected to office that looks like you or gives your kind of vibes has nothing to do with that. It has to do with what you can do for yourself to make yourself attractive to other people. You know what I mean? Mm, that makes sense. There was yeah, because you know, it, it, it kind of is that. There was something so interesting in what so interesting in what you said. You're talking about what left spaces provide for people, or what you know, woke or social justice or progressive or queer spaces yeah. offer for people, and then what 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 these you know manosphere spaces offer. On the one hand, you're talking about validation. You are beautiful as you are. I see you. You don't need to change. You're perfect. On the other hand. And your pain is validated too, your trauma, your suffering, I see it, and you're accepted, and you exist. And on the other hand, here's guidance, here's what to do, you're responsible. Now, both of those are essential human needs. We come into the world expecting them and needing them for our development, for our emotional, intellectual, holistic development. And so few of us get all of it being seen fully for who we are. Our parents are too stressed. And it's not because parents don't love their kids. It's because parents are too stressed. They're carrying their own traumas. They're too stressed by work. There's a huge economic, uh, socioeconomic aspect to this, you know, but across the, the economic spectrum. So kids, some kids grow up feeling completely invalidated. And then they go to a college where validation is the currency. And it's like, oh my God, I never want to leave this space especially if they have a, you know, a divergent sense of gender expression or who they are inside or anything like that or disability, right? Uh, and then on the other hand, also guidance is an is a essential human need. Every young being, every young mammal needs to be taught to be a member, uh, an adult member of that species. And so few parents these days have the bandwidth to fully be with their kids and bring them along in the ways that they need. And so those people are hungry for parenting. And so actually everyone's hungry for parenting and they're just getting it proxy versions of one part of it. And whichever part of it they're getting, we call that left 
or right. Basically, it's all <laughs> basically emotion, unmet emotional needs being projected onto others. And then you have the others, you have the other. So if we're in the validation camp, well, then the responsibility camp, those people are bigots. Those people are closed minded. Those people are problematic. If we're in the responsibility camp, these people over here, they're they're coddlers. They're actually groomers, whatever. And everyone's seeing the other through the lens of a traumatized, scared child who really just needs love and guidance and unconditional positive acceptance of who they are, not for what they do in the world. So thank you for saying what you said, because that that reframes a lot for me, actually. One thing I would yeah. that is that there's also, I think, especially in America in particular, there's a lack of, of ritualization in our society. Like there's, you know, at what stage do you become a man, right? You know, traditionally, at least in like, you know, for example, the Middle Ages, uh, that was when you turned uh, 12, right? And there uh, were rites of passages for that. There were yeah, the, you would the culture built in structures to make it happen. Yeah, you, you would take First Communion. And then after that point, you were now, you know, there were different responsibilities that were put on you in a very clear way. For example, like if, if a sort of brigand got out and, and you needed to get hunt down, you might be called upon to engage in the hunt, right? It was the, it's literally a man hunt. Is, that's where the term comes from. Ah. And in addition, but it wasn't purely like, it wasn't like, well, now you have the full responsibilities of an adult. You know, go out and have fun. It's like, no you would still have to do a lot, like there was still a lot of, you know, help that you would have as like a 13 year old, like trying to manage things, but you had fundamentally changed after yes. going through the process that the community had put upon you. And for a lot of people that doesn't really exist in no. America, right? It's just sort of like you're a kid and then you're in college. And I guess maybe like if you join a frat, you get like hazed, but and if you're okay. Jewish like me, you get a bar mitzvah, which is called a rite of, a rite of passage, but it's not. Yeah. It's, a, it's a party with, where you have to do one chore. You have to read some shit in Hebrew for like a few minutes, and then you get a bunch of money and a bunch of attention. Yeah, same you thing. Catholicism is the same thing. It's the first community. It's like you just take catechism class. And it's but, like, what but long before the Middle Ages, we're talking about indigenous cultures everywhere, there were rites of passage where kids had to face death. They would go and, and it, were, they were, it was overseen by the elders. It was overseen by the village. And it was very important. You don't get to just be, you don't be automatically become an adult in, in those healthy cultures. You have to actually go through the threshold and leave your childhood behind. And we do not have that in this culture. No. And, and a part of it is, is that there's just no because I think in America, there is no like shared identity right. uh, in the same way, like. You know, there, there is this lack of ritualization, which means that for a lot of people, like they just enter into this with just no idea of like, what does it mean to be an adult? At, at, not just like at a, a physical level, like, okay, I have to pay my bills, I have to pay rent, I have to work at my job, you know, I have that jury duty, I guess. But at a deeper, you know, cultural and, and personal meaning of like, what does it mean? What do I have to embody in myself as an adult? There's just nothing like that. Right. There's nothing mm. that yeah. establishes that. Right. You know, and so as a result, people feel very listless. And I, and I do. And again, this is something I think that, you know, we, we joke about like, oh, like guys want to get involved or like everybody wants to become like a trad cath now or like get into like, you know, weird religion and stuff. But I think what people really want is to join like, how would I even put it? Like a like a version of like the Masons. 
right? Like, you know, going like that sort of process, like an institution that will sort of, I mean, essentially it is in many ways a form of hazing, right? There's a reason why hazing exists all across the world, right? And it goes by different names, but like, like you said, like, no, you are literally facing death, right? In a very real way, which in, you know, in a lot of hazing is very dangerous, right? As you know, we know from the fact that people do die from hazing. Now, some of it isn't, and some of it is like, you know, obviously very juvenile. I'm not trying to say that like, you know, compare like a rite of passage from like an actual tribe to like, you know, Kappa Sigma. No, but it's the stand-in. It's it's filling the same function in a vacuum of meaning, in a vacuum of myth, in a vacuum of actual culture. So now what we have is I belong to these Greek letters and I go to this school and I'm going to fuck the girls from this sorority and I'm going to drink this much of this brand of liquor or whatever, you know, instead of I belong to this village. This is who my clan is. This is what we stand for. This is, you know, we... We fight, we, we, we hunt the mighty beast of what, you know what I'm saying? One issue with that is that it, it, by definition, it has to be exclusionary, right? Yeah. That's because you can't, you know, I, I think that we live in a culture that is very, very focused on inclusion, which is great. I mean, for a lot of things, but there are situations where sometimes it's, it, it, it feels good to be exclusive, right? Like I want something, a structure special to myself that other people can't, that other people may not understand, right? Nothing exists that isn't exclusive. Oxygen is, oxygen is exclusive of, of other chemicals. You know what I'm saying? Water is, drinkable water is exclusive of arsenic. Uh, any, anything can only be itself by not being other things. Yeah, it, it, there has to be, you know, people do want, you don't want to be overly, not overly inclusive, but like, there, there are places in people's lives where they want to be part of something that not everybody can be a part of. Right? Correct. I, to be honest, I think that's the reason why Judaism has survived in, in, in such a strong way as long as it has. Because there is Absolutely. like a very, like you can't just become Jewish. Like it, it is like, no, you have to be raised. I mean, you can convert, but it's not yeah. the same. It's it's a way of being raised, right? It's a, it's a an entire like it's it's a culture built around like oh you, know, you have to steep yourself in if you're going to convert I mean look this is why I'm becoming a trad heap yeah <laughs> you know and, and and it's the same thing like with Sikhs right the same thing with a yeah. lot of different cultures where you know you have these rituals that people demand of them or of demand of younger people that meaning man you know, meaning I, exactly it's like I can define myself as something that is outside of everyone else. And, and I think that's why a lot of people gravitate towards like white nationalism, right? Cause what does, sure. what does being white mean in America next to nothing, right? It's people say like it, the default as if it's like a good thing. It's like, no, being the default sucks, right? right. It, it, you're, low, you, yeah. it means nothing. Like you have nothing special to yourself. You're undefined. Yeah. It, it's like, there's no, nothing exists for you outside of what exists for everyone else. Right. And, yeah. and it feels awkward. Right. It feels like especially in a society where there's no like you don't even feel like you have ownership over your own identity. Right. Because you're, you know, if you live in America, for example, the default is mostly defined by culture. Right. It's defined by especially now the media you consume, but also 
the, the landscape of, of society that you exist in, which very few people have much control over. Yeah. Right? So you don't even feel like you own your own identity. And so you end up, you, you just end up as nothing. And so you see where these white nationalists come in. It's all about like, we need to retake Rome. We need to rebuild, like we need to get into Catholicism, but then like, you know, be honest like uh, i mean look i go to mass and and it's like it's not all right you know it, it, it that doesn't really click with them they, they want to build a culture that they have ownership over and and the only thing they can really put themselves around is whiteness but whiteness is in and of itself nonsense like, it, it, the well, way it's, it's, it's the absence it's the absence of culture it's it's the bubble in the melting pot you know yeah. it, it, it's what happened to all of the there is no white nation. You can't go back to whitestan. What I like to do uh, is to go to their churches. I like, I like to I like to parade around their churches with menorahs on a stick, screaming, <laughs> "I will not replace you! I will not replace you!" It really, it really, it really, and they and they like give me thumbs up, you know? Yeah, no. It- Hold on, Rory, before you get any further, I want to make sure that Robert gets his... Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to boogie his, his soon. I want to hear what Robert has yeah, to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. All right. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. we can hear you. Hello? Okay, nice. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot to just bounce off of what you guys were talking about just kind of overall is I think I always try to think about like what's like actually different from like now from like way like way in the past, like decades into the past. And I like to watch like a lot of older movies or like older music and songs. I remember you, I forget the song exactly. You said Daniel was it like is, is she really with him or something? Is she really but going a lot out of these, with him by uh, by Joe Jackson? Yeah, but like you know, one thing I've noticed is a lot of the people that kind of get complained about that people kind of talk about it like being new, like incels, like that that existed way back then. You know, like pick me, like someone like someone you would call like a pick me, and it's not necessarily like the same exact behavior, but it's kind of like parallels to it where you you'll see like an old advertisement for something of like some course that's supposed to like teach you how to be like be like a woman and like get like a man or like be a man and and get a woman and and, like i i see like this stuff that happens like it's like in like the 50s or the 60s there'll be like these courses for these things and i think what a lot of what's changed is a lot of like what rory was talking about like the ritualization like people don't go to church or like expectations around a lot of people's lives are different like divorces are much more common and i don't think it's necessarily that a lot of like our human interactions between our, ourselves are different. It's just our expectations are so deformed, especially because when you have this void, you you start falling into the trap of like media and like advertising and advertising is promoting a world that doesn't exist. And people want to return to a world that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So when they have all these expectations and society is kind of seemingly collapsing among itself, you kind of get people, you, you have a lot of people who, aren't trying to understand each other, but they're trying to find out like rules to, uh, you know, find a date or get some friends, which isn't going to help them as much because what was important about like the ritualization was it was, you could like relate to someone like you'd have like your own like story about like your ritualization that you could talk to people about. Whereas now, you know, if you get like, I don't know, talk about like dating advice, dating advice is always like very general. And it's completely useless because at the end of the day, you're talking to like a person, right? So like even if dating advice is true 99% of the time, it's completely meaningless because you're talking to a specific person. They might be part of that 1% or or not. And yeah, you know, when it comes to like, I I think just trying to wrap everything else because a little bit of ranty is I, I think people aren't as curious about trying to figure out and learn about 
what other people are like and they just fall into the trap of determining what they should be expecting from media from advertising from books or, or whatever yeah i i agree with that and i think you know in addition to that there's a you know there's the idea of like the return guy which is, it's funny like you know that you mentioned like kind of consumerism and like kind of advertising because you're now seeing like the return guys is like shifting forward like now you have return guys who are like this is what they took from us and it's like it's like something from like the 90s right it's like oh it's it's you eating spaghetti and playing like you know playing it's like, like that like, calvin klein ad of like the half naked guy and like the half naked woman they're like teenagers yeah. and it's, it's really like weird. okay it, it's it's not it's like it's it's a, we're going it's back. literally an advertisement like calvin klein is yeah. like on that picture that you're posting it's literally an advertisement but people... like we need to return to an era of better ads like like things would be better if we you know if instead of having like you know a pregnant man or like the balenciaga like child trafficking thing if, it, if we had <laughs> if we had like sexy men and, and and hot chicks on all our ads things would be a lot better if we brought back the carl's jr ads where it's like a like a, a woman in a bikini eating a burger society. oh my god and and i i think the reality is that and there's in addition to that you do have like the traditional guys who are like no we need to like rebuild the roman empire which is like okay like what do you want me to do uh, and and i think that so much of this is instead of returning to the past, I think it's important to like, no, like we need to build something in the present, right? We need yeah. to try to do something in the present that is cognizant of the world we live in now. We can't just be like, remember how great, you know, eating Funyuns and playing like- No, it's, it's the member park. berries from South Park, right? Maybe, maybe Chewbacca. I'm a member. I'm a Ewoks. Maybe Ghostbusters. I'm a and, and I think part of it, there is like an understanding because we, we also live in, in a culture and, and especially like a media ecosystem that just does not produce new content. My no. fucking God. No. Like it is. And so we end up feeling like trapped. It all, it's all either remaking content or referencing content. Don't, don't yeah. tell the granted, like, freaks, though. You know what? Uh, we have enough you know content. I, we have enough content. Yeah. We need better context. I'm going to say that. Yeah. I think I think because con context determines the content that goes within it. And I think you're right, Rory. We need to be looking to create new things. And I think the place to start from is that empathetic imagination of what do people actually need underneath the ways they're acting out. It's all acting out, right? And acting out is a good phrase because it's like charades if if i was in a if you were in a foreign country and you didn't speak the language and you really were hungry and you had no way of communicating with words well what would you do you'd use hand signals you'd use a more symbolic more abstract more uh you know abstracted um uh, representation of that thing to try and get it and so all these people who are perplexing to us all these fucking freaks uh, you know and they are i mean let's on one level i'm not going to say they're not but on the other hand, what's the need that's driving it underneath? And I think we've been having a conversation here that's at least attempting to, you know, while we mock, also wonder about what's going on for them. And whatever we create, it has to address people's basic needs. Now, it is possible to do men's work that isn't demeaning to women and isn't shaming to men. There's a men's spiritual teacher named David Data, who I think does pretty good work. 
He's got a book called The Way of the Superior Man. But when he uses the word superior, he doesn't mean it at all to be dominant. He just means living up to the highest potentials of the masculine. And he isn't, he isn't even directing it even at men. He's directing it at butch lesbians or any woman who wants to embody the feminine. But what he does talk about, and we were talking about this before, is that there has to be polarization in a sexual relationship. In the moment of sexual attraction, one person has to be like, it's, you know, two opposite magnets, right? And we lose that when we try to make everything just kind of flatline. So it's, but it is, what I'm saying is not to pitch one particular author or anything, but it is possible, I think, to craft a kind of um, growth work for people or culture for people that doesn't fall into corny cliches, but does sincerely and empathetically address what people are really needing and what their weird, divergent, uh, ineffective, bizarre behavior is trying to express, but is too inarticulate to express. And I think, you know, adding to that, you know, I, I think part of one of the other issues that really does drive the manosphere is that I, I think that at least in the in the Me Too world and, and following Me Too, the the ways that we have defined, you know, dating and relationships, it's solely from the perspective of women as the receivers of purely as the receivers of attention from men, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's, and it's been defined purely, I think, by women, right? And to such an extent that I think that it's, it's no longer really, in a very certain kind of, of person, and, and especially online, um, that adds to the, the same issue where it's being defined by people and in a way that I don't think really reflects reality. Like one, one um, example I always like to give is, you know, when people say like, you know, cons you know, you need to receive like open and explicit consent, right? Verbal, explicit consent. You know, that's the only kind of consent that exists. And for me, the question I always have is, you know, I, I always say this with guys. I actually asked a bunch of my male friends, how many times has a woman initiated, you know, like, you know, romantic or sexual contact with you and asked for your explicit verbal consent? Right. How mm -hmm. many times? And, and not that you didn't consent to it, but how many times has she come up to you and said, do like, do you want me to do this? Right. Or, or can I do this to you? Right. And, and Daniel, yeah. you're thinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can I, can I kiss you? Can I? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. For the life of me, the answer. For can me I, is, can I give you a hand job under the table at Thanksgiving? Yeah. Like, yeah, nobody, nobody's asking those the questions. Is, for me, no, I've never had that happen to me. And, 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 and a lot of women that I know and have been with uh, would rather a man know they, they, they want someone who can sense when the, when the yes is there and, yeah. and yeah. who, who will back the fuck off the minute the no, even if there's any tension in the body, that's the thing. See consent, like the idea of consent as a verbal contract that is like co-signed by both parties and witnessed by a notary is the least sexy idea in the world. But responsiveness, attunement, being there in the moment and being able to feel what a no feels like and then ask a question and not being so fucking consumed by my desire to dominate, consume and use the other person, which I'm going to have if I'm porn brained. Uh, that's actually relating to people. But, but yeah, I, I don't know too many women who want to be like asked well, to and check I, this. I mean, if I can say something. Oh yeah. I mean, if I can say, I think it's a lot of people just not being curious about trying to trying to understand why someone might think a certain way or behave a certain way. Like I know we were talking yeah. about earlier, like generation, the so-called generational divide between you know, like someone like 
older generations and newer generations of they just don't want to people don't want to understand each other they don't want to put their parents can I, or their can I, can I offer in the context of their history i don't think it's that people don't want you to and i are 47 what? Well, no, I, I, no, I, I, I think out of here. Don't, don't age me up into your category. I'm not Gen X. Get the fuck out of here, bro. Well, that's well, you I mean, and I, so great. So you're younger than me, and we're we're having a perfectly reasonable conversation. Okay. Um, what, what I was going to say though is that um, I I don't think it's that people don't want to understand each other because humans are by nature curious. I think people do want to understand each other. Here's what gets in the way though. I think uh, one of the uh, the the big problems we have is that by understanding somebody else, then you can be placed at fault or you can be placed to blame for something. So I don't think it's that we don't want to understand each other. It's that we don't want to be at fault for a thing, which mm. conflicts with our desire to know more about each other and to know more about the world. Mm -hmm. So if, you, if, for example, like a lot of these guys in the uh, manosphere who kind of reduce women to like, for, like to, they reduce them down to uh, a, a basket of ir irrationalities and their bodies. And I don't think that any of them think that's true because as Rory and I say often, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson was right, but not in the way that he thinks. Uh, yes, there are there is a uh, chaotic and there is a logical uh, gender, but it's women who are the logical gender and the men who are the, uh, the chaos gender. Yeah. I, I think we do want to understand more about each other. The thing is, as a lot of these guys understand more about women, then they begin to self-reflect and say, hang on, maybe it's actually my fault. Not even just that I can't get laid. Matter of fact, I think a, guy, a lot of guys who aren't getting laid are okay with that. I don't think it's as much of a crisis as people are making it out to be. I'm definitely um, okay with it. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's that, that guys want to get laid and that they can't. I don't think it's a crisis. I think a, a lot of guys have simply lost interest in, in getting laid. Um, it's almost like the, the, the Japanese kind of led the wave with the Hikikomori guys who just sort of like hang out indoors all the time and have no interest in romantic relationships. I think that is, that is an issue that's, that's happening, but it's not a crisis. And I think, I think, uh, the same goes for a lot of women, uh, that, uh, they have an interest in getting to know guys, but by getting to know guys a little bit better. And oftentimes I think seeing their own reality reflected in men, i.e. we're not really all that different and we share many of the same experiences. Like, especially if you're not, if you're not rich, you didn't grow up rich. You don't have the same opportunities as people that like, I don't know, you'd see in your Instagram feed or on reality TV. There's actually a lot more that uh, links us than, than actually separates us. But the problem is I think for um, a lot of women online, especially like the radical feminist types, I think that they kind of get that it's not men per se, it's men of a certain class, but so, some of the issues that they are running into are not men's faults per se, or at least men at large. Some of it can be personal matters. Some of it can be matters beyond our own control. But I think finding the answers to these things scares some of these people so much that they would rather place the blame on nebulous men. So I think a lot of what drives our discourse is not a lack of curiosity. It's the avoidance of blame. And it's also, I would say, it's a lack of desire to actually come to a consensus. And, and I, I think a lot of it, I think, is actually, it really is color, was colored by sort of Me Too, where that was a period of time where you did have really a unilateral shift, which, of course, was a good thing. Like, the reason why it was such a unilateral shift is because it was in sort of the norms around interacting between genders, right? The reason why it was unilateral is for many years, 
yeah. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't listened to, right? Or it wasn't really in the forefront of the cultural consciousness. But we're now at a stage where that's starting to recede, right? That you're in a position where you can no well, longer it was an over, it was an overcorrection, change culture wasn't it? in that There's so way. many of these things that are overcorrections and, and, and because, then the pendulum has to swing back. But they're important corrections. They had to happen. But it had to happen. And I think we're at a stage now where it's it's like we need to kind of come together to figure something out, right? Like, especially with a lot of these like, weird Me yeah. Too accusations, especially recently where they've started getting really, really... Yeah, it's it's not even like, it's like, oh, you don't believe women. It's like, no, I believe women. And uh, But even if I was to believe everything they said, it's nothing, right? It's it, You're not actually describing something that's really bad. It's just like you're annoyed with like your ex-boyfriend or you're... You're mad or you got into an argument. You're, you're like, you're using this as a platform to like share your baggage, right? And it's being used in these terms. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing I will say that Me Too really did was it was a change in terminology, right? But it was a horizontal. I, I think you mentioned like the horizontality of, of culture. And it was, you know, all of this language has now been horizontalized, right? Everybody like, you know, there's only two things you can be. It's an abuser or an abused. And, and this language that we now use to immediately determine who's the bad guy and who's the, the good guy, right? Who's the black hat? Who's the white hat? And I, I think that for a lot of people, the reality is like, that's, for a lot of people, that's not ideal, right? And, and we're getting to a stage now where it's like, I think a lot of guys are starting to kind of push back. And, and this is where the manosphere, we'll bring it back to the manosphere has a lot of purchase is things like, well, no, you can't like, it's like, what do you say? You don't, you, be, you don't believe women. It's like, well, no. Right. Like, right. It's possible that women lie. Like why? Like, it's such a weird thing for me to even have to point that out. Right. Like, like this should be just obvious. Like it should come into consideration, right. That it's possible that somebody can lie about things. So like, maybe we shouldn't just immediately take one person's side. I mean, I, somebody mentioned Hassan Piker as like an example of a, like a positive male role model. And like somebody recently tried to me to him. Now, thankfully for Hassan, it was somebody who was just so patently unbelievable that like, isn't that Jenks? And, and also it was just very clearly like nothing. Fuck, it. It fuck him. Very man. clearly just like, he did it. He did it. Yes. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. That motherfucker slandered my brother. <laughs> fuck well, oh, no, Here's the thing. Jank. Jenk, but 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 no, but no. Oh, like, may, but, or, may, may God strike down his Hassan. relatives to the. Oh, that's got nothing right. to do with Hassan, though. My God is a ve- my God is a vengeful yeah. God. Holy smokes! <laughs> no. Okay, jeez, yeah, no, I mean, Hassan, I, okay. I don't think he's especially. I'm just, like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of kidding. I, I'm getting, I'm getting a little punchy, guys. I gotta, I, I, I gotta log off the early morning thing. Oh, I. That's, that's fair enough, yeah. Um, fair enough, yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah, all good. Yeah, well, if I can say one thing, I don't. When I say uncurious, I don't mean like they don't want to. They, they people want to form a human connection, but it's kind of like oh, they want to learn about guys. Like they don't want to learn about like the people they're specifically with. They're trying to learn about like guys or kind of like how we were talking about how they don't want to kind of find the mix between like you know if a date goes poorly. Is it the guy's fault because the guy's weird, or is it the woman's fault? Because it could be both of their faults, or it could be none of their faults, but they don't want to hash it out either, like internally, because you can't you can't lie to yourself in your head, which is why I think a lot of manosphere uh, people get a lot of purchase because 
they don't have to confront kind of the reality of, of what it is, you know, because, you know, the pushback against like, oh, believe all women, like, and you have to say, well, like, of course, sometimes women lie. That That's not like, they're still trying to essentially avoid what the phrase is trying to say instead of trying to confront it. That's what I mean by like, uncurious, like people don't want to understand kind of like contradictory elements of of why people behave a certain way or you know what goes wrong well daniel well daniel and i have uh i just want to say this before uh he goes because i know that uh he's gonna understand where i'm coming from uh we 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 took a um 20 20, we did like 20 a, a personal ago. self-improvement course he did it at a different time than i did but we yeah. generally understand yeah 20 years ago holy smokes yeah for me it was like uh it must have been like 12 years ago but uh, you know, there was there's a, a couple of distinctions um, that I learned, and that like one of the people who like mentored me um, helped me learn as well. And it was just a couple of things. Like one is like the dichotomy Primary between you concern. know looking good and not looking Primary bad. Like everybody wants to look good, and nobody wants to look bad. That's just like the reality of life. Yeah, yeah. We are we're very concerned with in a in a like in a socialized society. Like we have to exist around other people. We are very concerned with looking good to other people and not looking bad in front of other people. And another thing is that um, we have no ability to differentiate what happened from what we made it mean. So there's a thing that happens. Let's take it to relationships, right? The relationship uh, problem is that what happens is somebody says something um, and then the other the other person makes it mean something else. So like a guy can say, for example, uh, you know, like I, I am, I don't know, I'm not happy with our sex life. Or he can say, uh, I'm not happy with uh, the way this relationship is going. And that's just the thing that he said. And then what she can make it mean is, I'm not happy with you. I'm not sexually attracted towards you. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not happy or, with you Or even more insidiously, you a person someone could say something genuinely. The same thing with uh, women. Someone would call mean. But so they said yeah. what they said. They said, blah, blah, blah. Like I could say. You know, yeah. you're a stupid douche, right? I could say those words to somebody. That's what I said. Mm. But the story they would tell about it is he invalidated me. He di- he he uh, disrespected me. Now, that might be a valid right. story, right. a valid interpretation, but it's an interpretation. It's not what happened. What happened was I said, what, ha- what happened was my mouth formed the words, you're a stupid douche. That's all that happened. It didn't happened, mean yeah. what you made it mean. And it's not a problem. It's not a problem to make meaning, but what we're not right. in control of is we don't okay, notice here's, here's a really we good... don't even know we're making yeah. meaning out of things. And then we act like the meaning is true and what happened. Right. A really good example of this actually is, uh, um, you know, last week that we were on, a uh, friend of the show, Maria, she was on. And, you know, she, she said something, and I noticed a lot of guys say this, too. Uh, Maria, Maria just happened to say it because Maria was on and she was dealing with the thing. But this is actually something that I hear a lot more from guys, where, like, uh, he'll uh, ask a woman yes. out, and she'll say no. And he'll say, well, she rejected me. Well, is that what actually happened? No. What happened was you asked her, hey, she would you like to go your to invitation. dinner sometime? And she said, she refused you. She hey, did I not appreciate reject that, but you. no thanks. And then you made well, it she mean. Refused your, she refused right. the invitation. Not she didn't you. even refuse. No, it's just all she said was no. Yeah. Right. And then, yeah, exactly. And you make it mean that she rejected you. Well, no, she didn't reject well, you. You was well, a person. Well, 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 well. You've just entirely you, made you, that you, up. You, 
I, I mean, there's actually no such thing as a dream made it up, yeah. to be fair. But, but it's really what you've done is you've remembered an old yeah. story from much, much earlier in your life. You, it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that you chose that interpretation. It's not a coincidence that you chose exactly. the most upsetting interpretation possible. You chose the thing that confirms the thing you secretly believe about yourself and you're constantly finding evidence for in the world. And in a way, you set it up. Not on purpose at all. Exactly. But we're not, again, when we get super responsible, we realize, oh, yeah, this rejection thing I do, it's a, dr- it's a syndicated program that I'm subscribed to. And I keep, I keep resubscribing. I mean, one exactly. Thing I add, one thing I would add, though, is that, like, it's also important to recognize that it's, it's, it's not that you just asked her to dinner, right? It's that you, you offered yourself as a potential romantic Right. It's not like when I, my buddy, like, you know, if my buddy's in town, I'm like, hey, you want to go grab like food? Right. It's like, no, this is something very different. Right. You have offered yourself mm-hmm. as a potential romantic partner, which she has turned down. Right. In a way, it is a rejection. Right. And I think that's important to recognize, like, yes, she refused your offer, of course, but there's a deeper meaning to that. Right. Which means that she as a, a potential romantic interest or sexual interest, she rejected that as a possibility. Right. At least for the moment. Well, sure. But she rejected the offer. She didn't reject you as a person. I think that's oftentimes what people turn that into is that there's something wrong with either me or her. So just to sort of like bring it back to where we started was that a lot of people spent like they spend all of this time refusing to understand each other because they're utterly yeah. convinced that there's something about them yeah. that's going to be to blame if they actually get to understand. Like if, if I actually get to understand men a little bit better, if I get to understand women a little bit better. It's actually going to confirm to me the worst thing that I believe about myself, and I don't want that. I mean, one thing I'd say is I think sometimes in that situation, the person is getting rejected, but that's like the worst case scenario, essentially. And that's usually, there's usually a lot more layers to it. Like, you have to have known each other for a certain amount of time. Like, I mean, there are people who are just very unpleasant, and they, they do just get rejected, but that's the worst case scenario. Most well, of the time, even, it but is even just, then, and I really you know, need to go into this. In, in, in to say they get rejected, yeah. what does yeah. that mean? I mean, uh, are they? What it means? Well, I think what you're saying, if I could interpret it in a, or say it in a different way, is they get declined vehement, vehemently. They get declined with force. You know, they get like they get the supersized no, and so it feels like a rejection. But it, but can a person? This is the question. Can a person actually be reject? Like, can the person be rejected? It's only an experience. It's not actually happening in reality, is it? No, and, and I think it it, it yeah. becomes a rejection. I mean, it becomes here. I'll put it like this: it becomes a rejection when you absolutely if you're identified with succeeding at something and it doesn't happen, then you're invalidated. Yeah. That's a function of your identification system of what you've what you've said this is what my sense of self rides on if you didn't ride on that oh well then you can see the thing is then you can feel your vulnerable then you'd have to deal with your vulnerable feelings of disappointment feeling disappointment is one thing you know shit i really wanted to go out with her shit i really was hoping she'd sleep with me shit i was hoping to have that conversation damn i feel sad and then that passes but in order to not feel the vulnerability we come up with a story that's very familiar to us you fucking rejected me and that's from there it's a short hop to well i wonder what fucking andrew tate has to say about this anyway folks good night thank you so much for having me 
uh, you guys do great work. I'm a, I'm a yeah. big fan. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate that. Uh, and I think that one thing I do, I, I think ultimately one thing that we should, I think as men move maybe towards is yeah. Like learning to just be like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. Like if you get rejected, it really doesn't matter. The problem I think with guys like Andrew Tate is that they don't, they, they fundamentally, they, how do I put this? They don't recognize that it's like, well, maybe the whole, maybe the, the very idea of like, whether or not you're a cool guy or whether or not, like what it means to be a man is to be attractive to women. Like, I don't think that really makes a lot of sense. Right. First off, the greatest men in history are all asexual and, or just like, weird <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. very funny that like with all this, cause they're talking about like the woke army now is like a thing. Even, with, like, even Genghis, even Genghis Khan. Even getting yeah, gone. which is like, what do you, you know, have... he was, he was an asexual who was like, he was an asexual who was like dragged out of his natural comfort zone because he had the, he had the duty of like populating the earth, you know? Yeah. And one thing I would add, like, it's, you know, like so, like there are just so many different ways that you can define yourself as a man, but making it about like this very, very narrow idea of like, oh, you have to be attractive to women. And, and that's where I kind of like the idea of the manosphere being like, no, like, like being like being like into women is kind of gay, and I, I actually like that because it's, it's but no, but it is. It's like yeah. it's a way of reacting to that where you're like, no, actually, like it's not just of course because everything's on the internet, it's going to be extreme, right? But it, it's a way of basically saying, oh, you don't get laid a lot. Like who cares? Like that actually makes you a cooler person, and yeah. and it's very interesting. You know, this is one thing I would also add is that that sort of stereotype as like a vert, like, you know, the virgin that like sucks because he can't get any women is something that is also very strongly propagated by women. And that's, I think something else that's important to know, like that is a, a gender stereotype that I think a lot of members of both gender very strongly enforce, right? Which I think that, you know, one thing I, I do, like I said, where it's like, Oh, you know, people make fun of these guys like, oh, they don't even want to have sex with them. It's like, yeah, they don't. Right. I think a lot of people don't really necessarily want to have sex with each other. Right. Like, as yeah. I said before, official line of the pod. Uh, sex sex is mid. It's mid. It's not that cool. Right. And and it's this idea like you'll see, especially with like rad femmes with like, oh, I bet you just like live in your basement and you never like you, you never have like anything going for you or whatever. And, and you're just like a virgin incel. And it's like. So, so what you're saying is that my value should be determined by the attraction of women, right? Oh. And, and I do think that there is, that is one thing where like, I, I think that there, the, the, like I kind of see the attraction of, especially fresh and fit, right? This is a very fresh and fit specific point because they, again, they love having women on their show and just yelling at them. I know they have women that agree mm -hmm. with them on there too, but a lot of times it's just like, them just like yelling and insulting women that they invite on to their show. And it's like, I, I think that there is sort of a desire to see the problem I have with fresh and fit is that it's very, very surface level. It's kind of like when women like try to make fun of a guy like, Oh yeah, I bet you're short and have like a tiny dick. It's like, mm. okay. like it, it's just like a preset insult that they're, they don't think about it. Like they have no passion for really insulting people. They're not really catty on the inside. Um, so that they just, they, they feel, you know, they, they don't have this like desire to actually be like 
insulting to women because they don't want to really even interact with them. So it, it's just, it's not as, I think, I think there is like an open space for a guy who like genuinely just kind of enjoys being catty with women, but in a way that isn't as like clearly and very obviously personal, like a guy that likes being catty for the love of the game. Right. And I, right. I, I think that there is much like a, myself. Oh, like me. I mean, I love, I love being catty all the time. Yeah. I, I, in yeah. fact, that's like, but, but the point I'm trying to say is one thing I think because there is this, I think, fundamental lack of understanding between genders recently. Right. And, and I do think that is, it's getting, I, I think we're moving towards a breaking point. I think on both sides, like, I think that you have like, you know, you have like, what was it? That woman who was like making a TikTok about like, zip ties on cars like oh like oh yeah it's a sign of like uh somebody's trying to human traffic traffic, or some shit right and then some guy made like a joke like oh man can't wait to put these on some car handle doors and you went (laughs) i i I wish i had a link to that tweet because you went through it and it was like people it was like women going barrel at him just absolutely regressed to a primal state i hope you die i hope you like get murdered and it's just like this is getting like, this is to the extent they're like, well, they're making fun of human trafficking. It's like, no, we're making fun of a, an insane TikTok that is yeah. not. We're not always making fun of human trafficking. They're making fun of you for making up weird shit to make people afraid of human yeah, trafficking. Like nobody is in the Marshall's parking lot with like a, a fentanyl soaked or a fentanyl uh, laced napkin sticking it in your right. car. That's nonsense, right? But it's it's like there's just this such a a visceral desire to like push away from the other, right? That you're creating this this, and I think a lot of it is very reactionary to me too, because like I said, like I'm not like you know, oh, me too is went too far. I think the natural progression of it was it would get to this state where there is going to have to be sort of a recuperation and a sort of realignment of things, right? Where like, I don't think that we can make, if we want to keep going and we want to improve gender relations, you have to start letting men back into the conversation because the primary way you are going to enforce any punishment, you have to have male approval, right? To a certain extent, like men do also have to, men hold up half the sky as a, a wise man wants some Yeah, what? what? <laughs> It's all no, about the it women hold up half the sky, but nobody tend, nobody asks about okay, well, who's who holds up the other half? Exactly, you know? and and the you know, for example, it's like you know, with a number of guys, I think a lot of guys are kind of in a position where it's like, well, we don't necessarily want to just like oh, just believe everything every woman says online, regardless of any like. No, well, well, here's what it what it was was that right? we believe that everybody should have the ability to bring their complaints forward to the law, to their supervisors at work, et cetera, and that they be taken seriously. I think everybody was 100% on board with that. I think where the overcorrection came was when people were just like, okay, well, just believe everything uncritically that somebody says because like, nobody is capable of lying. Nobody's capable of exaggerating. Nobody's capable of like blowing up. A st- like, I think, I think everyone kind of clued in where this is all going when the whole Aziz Ansari thing went down, which was, okay, that's, fine let's say that i believe everything that she said and that sounds very plausible what does it mean and what am i supposed to do about that that? i don't need to doubt anything she said because what she said was not a big deal yeah they had bad she had bad head she bad she got bad top and she and she said i'm not into this and she left 
right? And, and to bring back fresh, fresh and Fit, another example of that where it was like a 19-year-old was like, said like, I don't want to have sex with you. And the guy was like, whatever, fine. And said like, you can leave my house now, which you can, you can go now. Yeah. yeah. But it's not sexual assault, right? It, it just isn't. And, and, and I think that the reason why this has been kind of allowed to get to this extent is because the, the only one side is, is really dealing with the blowback from this, right? Like, like what I said, you know, how many men have been asked their consent before a woman initiates with them sexually, right? Q, I think you said, I, I know like how you feel like how many women in your life have done that. I can tell you for a fact. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's happened. It's happened where like, uh, you know, like a woman will, will ask me consent to do a thing sexually. And I'm just like, that that's just really weird. Like, yeah. it, it was like a little bit off-putting in a way. It's off-putting, right? And, and the point isn't that like all women are that I've slept with are rapists. Because that some people have taken that point to be that. And it's like, no, the thing is that you've created a definition of consent that is so dry and broad or so dry and so clinical because of Twitter discourse, right? And because and because everything has to be boiled down to such simple terms that it's it's inapplicable and, it, and it's too literal. Exactly. It, it, and nobody because, is actually doing it. Because what's important is their consent, which is something that's like in their heads. It's not like the words them saying like yes. Yeah, it's just too literal. It's, it's exactly, it's too literal. And, and for men that are trying to, you know, navigate the dating world, it creates dissonance, right? You know, like, again, we talk about Hassan and, and this is one of the things he always says, like, oh, it's so simple, it's so easy. And it's like, but how often do men experience it that way? And the reality is almost never, right? I, I like, I've had women in my life who are all about that, right? They post about that, like, especially during like the Me Too stuff who didn't ask me for my consent before they initiated with me. Sometimes in like situations where it's like maybe a little dodgy, right? And I, I don't hold anything against them, right? But the reality is that this is not something we experience, right? This is clearly, this is something that exists only online and not in the real world, right? It doesn't, the, the way that you have described, the metric you've described is not applicable outside of Twitter. And clearly, you know, the people, many people who are the biggest kind of boosters or the biggest kind of proponents of that way of doing it, don't do it themselves. And and when you call, you know, especially like the, the kind of person that's into that, it always turns into like, well, you know, he's bigger than her. Oh, he's, he's this. Oh, like it, well, you know, you know, because he could push away and it's like, oh, so you mean that if, if you're bigger than me, you don't need to get my consent explicitly. And, and it's like, oh, so if, if I'm, if you're stronger than me, you don't need to get, I don't need to get your consent explicitly. Right. And it's like, well, no. And it's like, because again, they've never been challenged on it within their own terms. Like they've never been expected to perform this. Men are the ones that, you know, are expected to get consent and it's never the other way around, which means ultimately you have a standard that doesn't really apply. And, and, and at no stage are men really being consulted on. Right. Even though they are basically the only people that will be held responsible for receiving consent, for example. And, and that's why I say the one thing that, the, that we need to, I, in my personal opinion, move past with like Me Too stuff is, is this I, is like you need to start like coming up with actual rules and, and sort of like um, rituals almost of, that, that aren't just, you know, that aren't just like 
completely on one side, right? That are able to be understood by both parties without it just being like, can you please sign a consent contract for me so we can bump uglies, right? Yeah, if I can say just one one last quick thing, it, we we gotta move away from it being like a legal thing and it being more of like a like just like a personal one. It, oh yeah, we don't have to make everything like notarized. You don't have to prove everything in court. Someone doesn't like you for like a stupid reason. Like you don't have to litigate it. You can just move on. And and I would say, well, yeah, that's one, another thing that that I've actually. I was gonna say that's another thing that I've actually just gotten really tired with is that. Uh, the idea that if uh, somebody does not want to pursue a relationship with you or somebody's not interested in you, that we have to like add some sort of political dimension to it. Anybody should just be able to reject anybody for any reason. Like anybody should just be able to say, no, I'm not interested for what I, I don't like. I don't like the way that he chews. I don't like, you know, I don't, her teeth are, are slightly crooked. It doesn't really matter what the reason is. Any reason that somebody says, yeah, I'm not interested. should just be a valid reason. Yeah, don't don't dig into it anymore. And then people go, well, what about racist reasons? Like, here's the thing. If we start doing that, you're opening a can like you're opening the door to a lot of questions. Like, well, what if I'm not attracted to you? Is yeah. that also like what if what if you don't like me because like if I'm like a like a black man and you're like a white woman, does that mean that you have to sleep with me? Because if you don't, that's racism. Yeah. It's like this, like I can understand at, at a, like a global societal context, why that, that is a question, maybe in a general sense, but in a specific sense, starting to get into that, the weeds like that, it's like, no, you're opening the door to questions and ideas that you don't want to get into and ideas that get very, very concerning, very, very quickly. Right. And, and so I would agree absolutely with that. And, and just one thing I would add, um, additionally to this is that you know because we were talking about like you know it doesn't things don't have to be legal I, I would add in addition to that things don't always have to be accusatory right like maybe you feel like there's this sense that like in order to receive or in order to to heal like part of the healing process is getting messy on twitter almost right part of the healing process is just is help everybody exactly what this person did to you specifically. And, and the problem with that is like, well, you don't actually, you can just say what happened to you and not name the other person, right? The problem is once you name another person, now we have to start treating it as if it is like an, an actual accusation. Like, no, like there are now, you've brought another party into something that really should not be another party, right? Or into a process that doesn't require accusation. And, and I, I think that, I mean, that's just another side point, but I, I do definitely think that there is, we are moving towards a, a situation where culturally, uh, I would say, um, there, there's just a, how do I put this? we're moving towards a position socially where like, we need to start actually like trying to, to work our way out of this in a way that takes into account men and women. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the problem is like very, I don't think women and because of like the, the dynamics of this, there's the, the women who have become, who have risen to be the, the loudest spokespeople for this are very unwilling to do that, right? And are very unwilling to accede to, to the reality that is like, no, you need to have both genders involved in any kind of gender discussion, right? And 
one issue I think there is that you, what all that ends up happening is you start creating more and more kind of hysterics on both sides, right? Because if men aren't, because again, like to cancel somebody, you really do need to have both, both genders involved, right? It can't just be, you can't unilaterally cancel someone as one side as like, I think Andrew Tate clearly demonstrates. Yeah, he's canceled, whatever, but you have no power to cancel him because the men that actually make up his audience are unwilling to cancel him. So like you're, you're stuck unless you, unless it is somebody within your own ambit, you can't cancel it. And, and so all that it does is it just creates more and more hysterics, which kind of drive people further and further apart. Right. Right. Which is, yeah, the language has to get so much more like hysterical because it's like, it, in order to recruit people into the idea that uh, these people deserve to be deplatformed or whatever, the language has to actually get so much more urgent and hysterical that we're now trapped into this positive feedback loop for anybody who is like outside of that ambit or as I, as I call them uncancelable, like we have to then make it the, the modern like movement of our time. There's always like some final boss beyond Andrew Tate. Uh, there's always going to be somebody else that has to absolutely be taken down, deplatformed, et cetera. And the language will get more and more and more hysterical because you're not going to get people who are fans of those people to sign on or get on board with the idea of, uh, of deplatforming them. If anything, like they are in a lot of cases, because there is this sense of aggrievement and because they feel like they are no, they aren't in part of that. It's, it's a, a social, it's a kind of a social practice that they feel they have no ownership over or no say in, they will actually reject you even more for trying. Right. Cause again, like with a lot of this, like this is, purely a, a a practice right i mean I, I hate to say cancel culture because that's become just a right-wing kind of catch-all yeah it's become like a catch-all but this way of like you know punishing people and this this these communities that exist purely to like you know just like not even support each other but support like you know the the sort of deplatforming of others ultimately like that, that culture is, is hugely negative. Right. And, and it creates a, um, it, it just creates a, a, a general, how would I put this? It creates a community that is ultimately very negative, very off-putting and increasingly, um, like, the, I mean, the way to advance in that is to literally just kind of accuse people. You know, that, like, that's how you would rise up in that. Like it's, it's everyone you're, you're against everyone. Oh yeah, it, and, like and, if, if you have a problem with someone, like you just accuse them of of doing something. Yeah, and, and that's why in needlessly. a lot of in a lot of culture, like for example, people will say, "Well, you know, people never believe women," and it's like, "Well, I don't think that's really the case anymore." You could maybe say that in like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, even like you know up until like the beginning of Me Too. But now we're into a stage where it's like, no, people like believe you. It, it's just that, or or people at least are like you know validating you. And in a lot of cases, especially like online people will by default, right? It's very rare that I, I, it's very rare that I see people come out and like accuse their partners where they're not just taken immediately at face value, right? Unless it's somebody like that, that girl that accused Hassan, where it's like, this, this woman be off or not, right? And, and that's the point where it's like, they're, because they're so stuck in this, because they exist, this community exists purely to 
kind of castigate others. It's like they can never really move towards anything. It could only exist in this in this presence in like 2016, 2015. It, that we, it feels like we're stuck in that forever, right? Because nothing can ever get better because as soon as it starts getting better, we begin to lose influence. And, and I think that that's... <clears throat> And so I guess by, in summary, I think one of the, when it comes, cause I have to get going too. I think one thing about the manosphere that I think we, I think the, to kind of answer at least our, the question, like why, why are men so attracted to the manosphere? I think a lot of it is because there is, there is like a lot of hostility in sort of like general liberal, like, and left culture uh, that just doesn't. Um, it's just, there is like a certain level of hostility or a, a certain desire or dismissal of, of the voices and the opinions of men, right? That doesn't, and, and the few places that do offer that are usually, you know, unfortunately on the right. And so it creates, you know, I, to a certain extent, the manosphere reflects the reality of a lot of, at, at a certain level, it does reflect for a lot of men, a reality, right? That, you no longer feel like you don't feel like you're involved in like a dating culture that really you have any ownership over. It feels like everything's been stripped out of your control, right? You, Absolutely. You, yeah. You, you just, you, you don't feel ownership anymore. And, and, and I think that that creates sort of a appeal to the manosphere that, that other, that the left cannot really, and, and liberals especially cannot really tap into and, and their attempts to do so become so, because they, they feel the need, like they have to get women involved in this, even though, you know, if, if I was to make a show for women, I, you know, it would, it would be weird if I was like, well, you've got to get some men on there, right? You know, men got to be involved in this women's show. It's like, well, no, it's for women, right? Like, why would I get a yeah. man? In true, true, true. It's just, there's two parts of this that I think real, I realized listening to all this that I realized about this whole thing. Number one, I realized that the social justice discourse has gotten to where it is because it's trying to do social justice in the most neoliberal way possible, which is avoid any sort of uh, materialist discussion whatsoever, which is why all this stuff seems to be losing any sort of like relatability basically, because it's just doing everything as power to like just Tokyo drift around any sort of materialist discussion. Would, would anyone kind of agree with me on that first part? Well, yeah, everything, everything takes place in the, uh, the realm of, uh, like personal experience and anecdote and nothing really gets grounded in exactly. material reality, day-to-day -day experiences, et cetera. Yeah. And now this is the part I wanted to leave off of because I want to hear both your thoughts. I wanted to hear Daniel's thought, but he left early, but this. You're right about how the left and like liberals have no real good you know, response to all this stuff. My thing is, and this is just something I want to hear both you guys riff on more than anything, how bad has it been with some of the guys that you see, not even the left, leftists, because we already know where that's going to go, but like liberal specifically, the kind of guys they put out as like a quote unquote alternative, because I could go on about it, but I'd rather hear you guys, but it's, it's some of the men they put out, I already brought up the whole Derek Jackson thing, but like some of the guys they put out as trying to be the alternatives, they play right into everything that that you both were talking about. I, here's just, like, okay, here's, here's, anyway, here's one thing. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. So like, I think of somebody like, uh, what's like a, um, 
fucking FD signifier or whatever that dude's name is. A lot of the, a lot of the time, um, you have guys that uh, like pre- pretend at or you know act as if they are trying to see things from both sides of the issue, but then they tend to generally fall down one line. Uh, so like there's that FD signifier guy that talks about like, oh, you know, why are all these right wing people upset about uh, the Little Mermaid being race bent? And then we'll then try to do like a small treatise on like seeing it from both sides, but ultimately he's going to fall down on the side of like, well, you should just get over it. And I think that what uh, some of these liberal guys are trying to tap into is addressing that the problem does exist and then trying to justify why it is that people who have the hysterical, um, like anti anti woke response are right to feel the way that they are. The people who are saying, well, the people who have a problem with the little mermaid being race bent are just part of the larger, uh, you know, fascist pipeline, which is like, it's not a healthy response. It's really just like, it's cultural shit. So every, everything is a battleground. Everything is always like some step on the path to fascism, just like everything else for the other side is always a step on the path to uh, neoliberal authoritarian censorship. And the reality is both of these sides are like the yin and the yang. They both absolutely need each other because without each other, they would have no way to justify their own existence. And I would add, I think because there are, I mean, there certainly on the left, there has been an attempt to do this. The problem is it's like, you know, I would say the closest thing that we have is actually Hassan. I mean, I really, I don't know necessarily who else would be like a left figure in that sphere. Uh, Q, I don't know if you have any suggestions, but it, it really is kind of just Hassan, right? It's Us pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. I'm not even on the left. Uh, so Yeah, we exist outside of the spectrum. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, like, I'm like anti-anti-left. Stav and Nick Mullen, yeah. Um, yeah. No, there just isn't really a, there isn't really a, an example. And I think part of the problem there is it's, I, I think on the left, because it, it's kind of come out of this, sort of reaction to a lot of a lot of the left stuff came out of a, a reaction to like the manosphere because it really did like a lot of like you know for example the bread tuber like h bomber guy if you go back in his old videos they're all about him like yelling at manosphere guys and a lot of it is very funny i think that he he makes a lot of great points but like it, it is because it's built out of that there is this genuine lack of desire with or genuine lack of comfort with any kind of like specific masculinity, right? Like it's like, you know, you'll see like pictures of like a ripped guy or something. It's like, you know, I, for example, there was this one woman and and this, she was kind of insane, but she's like, I typed this into like, or I typed the Buddha into like one of those AI art generators and I produced this. And it, it looks like, uh, like a Greek bust, kind of like a very muscular guy, and everybody's like, "Wow, this is such a fash aesthetic." And I'm like, "No, it's just a muscular guy sitting, right? It's just, it's like a muscular guy sitting. That's not fascism. That's just, that's just like a guy who works out, right? It's, it's not. Yeah, they become like I think that masculinity has become so, so there is like a certain level of demonization, even though deep down I think people really want to be masculine in a lot of ways, right? Like I always say this, but like all of these people on Twitter who like see like a super muscular woman and are like, I want her, I want her to like blow up my head with her. I want her to like pop my head with her thighs or something. And it's just like, <laughs> it's, 
It's like, no, what they want is like a muscular person. But within men, that is categorically, despite the fact that most guys that work out are like not very manly, like, or not, not that they're not, they're like nerds in a lot of cases, even like the special forces guys, I actually know two or three guys that like were in JSOC and all of them are nerds. The reason why they went into JSOC and became so crazy about like doing military stuff is because they're like, I will never be a pussy again because I was a band geek in high school. And, and it's like so much of that is like, it, it's not as like just openly toxic as people make it out, but it's like any kind of a, attempt to, to bring in like masculinity other than like in a very, in the most softened, the most just like cloying way, it, it becomes just completely written off and just rejected out of hand. Right. And, and mm. to a certain extent, like with Hassan, that is kind of the case, like, yeah, he, he always has to bring on like sex workers and it's like, okay, well, like, I don't necessarily think these are the best people to give advice to guys on how to date. Right. One, because like, they're not guys. And two, because a lot of them like don't really date with guys. Like Their perspective is not necessarily one I think would be hugely helpful to guys. Right. It just sort of, and a lot of the advice they give, I think is it's less, it's more that he's like regurgitating advice he reads on like Twitter it's like, just listen to women, but that's not really good advice, right? That's not like, he, he doesn't seem very interested in giving very like actionable advice, right? Because it, you know, if giving, if you ever give actionable advice, it will always be interpreted in the worst way. Yeah. Um, and, and the point well, there we, is, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, Lee, you can finish. Yeah. No, no I was going to say, uh, we, you know, we should, we should probably, uh, cause it's, it's getting, we're now yeah, like we're, three hours in. Yeah, it's after midnight. We should uh, we should probably wrap it up, but uh, yeah, I mean, I hope we 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 got closer to to what the issue is. I I do want to have this conversation again. As a matter of fact, I I kind of would want to invite some of these guys to like rather than uh, talking about them without their own presence, I would want to invite yeah. some of them to have these conversations. But that's for another time. I will um, be can... Dave Cerini. Does he have the end? Yeah, because he needs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I personally can't wait to get Taylor Lorenz on. Uh, I actually had a conversation with her and uh, invited her on to the show, and she said that uh, she she would be happy to come on sometime. Uh, also, yeah, also going to be um, uh, speaking to uh, to Jake Shields at some point. Just a matter of like trying to figure out what works in both of our schedules, but we'll, we'll get there eventually. But uh, regardless, just want to thank all of our uh, callers. Just want to thank uh, Daniel Mate if you haven't read his book or you haven't picked up his, his book yet that he co-wrote with his father the method of normal please do i've heard it recommended by so many people whose opinions on on books that i respect and i've i've purchased the book it's on my list to read as well uh and uh yeah is there anything uh, that you want to plug before we go roy no all right cool all right well uh, we'll see you next week same time 9 p.m eastern and uh yeah y'all have yourselves a good night